This is Matt Allison, author and artist of Kankor. You're listening to 11 O'Clock Comics. That was orchestral. Maneuvers in the dark? <laughs> Only the ones who weren't an initiate would say that. It would be OMD. <laughs> well, it would have been silly to say MD after you said orchestral. I'm not. Why you gotta go say things like that? I have, I have all hurt. the pages ripped out from my previous video. Damn, I haven't even looked at previews yet. Dude, I cannot wait for you to, um, and I'm doing it out of order because it's some really cool shit, um, but I'm getting these, which hopefully will uh, be on Vince's uh, mentions when the uh, site gets updated. Um, the, uh, the uncensored, uh, the unlicensed Conan stuff. Oh, yeah. I don't know about that. Do you guys no? see the uh, post? Uh, I don't know if you guys are, f- I assume you're Facebook friends with Liefeld on Facebook, but he explained in great detail why um, he's basically walking away from Youngblood. <laughs> Do tell. Why? It's complicated. He, he, back a long time ago, had a partner, and when there were no such things as superhero movies, and the partner had half the rights and he had half the rights and at extreme. And then that partner got in financial trouble. So he sold the rights to Youngblood to another guy who then sold them to a studio. So now they're like, like, there's like five different groups that claim rights to Youngblood. And I guess the other guy told him, the other one that has the rights told him that he's going to start publishing comics and stuff of Youngblood that aren't an image, like, un, like unsolicited. That's and so Rob, well. So yeah. Rob distanced like so he said he's he's walking away from Youngblood completely. He's not going to be affiliated with it at all, and it breaks his heart. But it's it's nothing he can do about it. I think it's so. a smart move. Yeah. yeah, no, definitely. But it was interesting for him to open up like that. So all about money and Benzies. Yep, they, they ruin everything. But yes, we are not here to ruin anything for you. We're here to make you better, stronger, faster, because this is 11 O'Clock Comics, episode 620. Time flies, and I am Vince B. You are Vince B, and I am David A. Price. That's true, and I am everyone's favorite boy on Mother's Milk. (laughs) (laughs) No, you're not. You are not at all. You're Jason Wood. I cannot draw a mental line. I cannot help but draw a mental line. When you say Mother's Milk, I think Red Hot Chili Peppers. Sure. I get that. It's it's silly. But you're not Mother's Milk. You're Jason Wood. Everybody's here today on this episode. And uh, unfortunately, I have no segue because the list of specials at Discount Comic Book Service, what with it only being August 1st, the list of specials has not been posted yet, but that's okay because you're confident knowing that once they do post that list, it will be populated by a ton of stuff, discounted far more than you can get this stuff anywhere else. So rest easy. When it's up, it's up, and you can go in there and fill your basket with a ton of good things knowing that you're going to receive them in two to three months and you will be a happy 
Kemper. DCBService.com. There might be two Conan books I get. Because the Savage Sword is um is 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 penciled by Alan Davis. I'm trying to pick up what wavelength you're on tonight, and I just can't do it. <laughs> you're like all over the place. Alan Davis is drawing the feeling, Conan. He's feeling himself because he's like ready to do the previous video on the first day of the month. Pretty much, we should. Well, technically, I, it's, we it's should. Done. Well, we should do it early as possible to give the people uh, ample time to. Well, uh, yes, that's the idea is to do it as early as possible. But every day, to, to say we'll do it at the beginning of the month is not always feasible. It just happened that I'm. I'm home and I'm able to do this today. It's right. not like this is a, a, a regular occurrence for me. So, but yes, I am. I am quite giddy that I was already able to go through the previews and and mark what I need to do. I'll probably do my um my video tomorrow um, as I'm pulling stuff for care packages. So it's just yeah. I just I'm I'm in the mood. I'm in that mode. So um, I'm all about it. My videos are getting surprised. longer and longer. Was it getting longer and longer? My videos are getting longer and longer. Good. Mm. Yeah. It's tough because you figure for everything you circle, it's one to two minutes, right? Plus, I, I, there, are, there are things that I have. It, it's not – there isn't a ton of stuff. I mean, there's there's a few things from, from Dark Horse, obviously, but there, there, isn't, there isn't a ton of stuff – from me, but everything is going to lead to a tangent as to why I'm 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 considering this or recommending it, and um, it's just spiral from there, so it can get a little out of control. But I I get a kick out of that, so hopefully they do too. But that's I don't I don't go in thinking you know I got to make this a tight thirteen and a half minutes. I don't I don't give a shit. I'll just I'll keep rambling. Longer the better. What are we drinking, y'all? Well, I'll start us off hot. You know I'm all about that water life. Yeah. Ironic that heat leads to water, but okay. What Specifically, what kind of water? Poland Spring ice water. <laughs> <laughs> a couple, couple days ago, it was hot, and uh, the sweats, everybody had the sweats, and uh, I was loading something up for somebody. I'm like, oh, man, you're hot. Uh, let me get you water. I'm like, no, 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 it's okay. No, 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 I'll get you water. And I hear, Whoosh! and he went in the back of his Escalade, and he pulled out a fucking can of Perrier. No way. Yes. Oh. And I'm like, what is, first of all, it's not even real water. I, it's, I mean, I know it's hoity-toity water, but it the the taste of this thing was unlike any water. It was just plain water, but I guess it's a sparkling mineral water, or whatever. Yeah, it's and it's water, it's yeah. like what it didn't even quench the thirst, and it was in a can, <laughs> a can of water. Humanity is going straight down the shitter. <laughs> yep. But anyway, so you're drinking water. Um, I guess I'm uh, not as large a speed bump as yourself, but I'm a speed bump nonetheless because I'm drinking Yingling. There's still some hanging around, right, so. and there's probably will be more. What with Do you have Chick Fil A for dinner? I uh, know. Uh, what with it? but <laughs> Vinny does want to go there. He wants oh, to go I'm to sure. Chick Fil A because Vinny's a Trumper in training. No, he is not. <laughs> Good looking Italian white kid in PA in rural PA. That's yeah. that's the demo. 
Okay. So yeah, Yingling. Now, elucidate. Um, I am. I didn't even plan this. Actually, it's funny. Uh, I am finishing, um, the glass of uh, Dark Horse Cabernet Sauvignon, and then I will be um, having a glass of Line Thirty Nine. Cabernet Sauvignon from California. I was looking for French wine, but they didn't have any cool labels at the shop. So I, um, after this is done, I think I'm just going to sip on some water because it's getting kind of warm in here. Neat. I have a thank you. So do I, but please do. I received a package from Mr. Christopher Hubble. So did I. Yes. And, uh, Nestled inside were two things, one of which I'm not going to tell you because I plan on talking about it later uh, on this episode. Uh, and the other thing was a hardcover. It's a Vertigo hardcover written by Mr. Robert Venditti oh. and Kevin Maurer oh. with art by Andrea Muti. And it's called Six Days, The Incredible Story of D-Day's Lost Chapter. And I'm about uh, I'm about halfway into it. A um, bunch of troops parachute out of a plane. They miss their mark by a bunch, um, and uh, they hole up with a bunch of French people, and um, mutual understanding is born. I guess um, the Americans and the French they they uh, although they're culturally very different they. Um, pick up on each other's idiosyncrasies, and uh, it's a pretty cool story so far. Yeah, uh, under the threat of total annihilation from the Germans, of course. But, um, yeah, no, it's pretty neat. Yes, so, he thank sent you. me the Chris. same book. Oh, really? Yes. Nice. I have not started it yet, um, but it is here underneath a few things that I have read and um, I'm in the process of reading. So it's on. it's on the much shorter and attainable regime unlike the um the other stacks i have littered around the room and house so this is um this will be read soon because i stopped at the um at the library and picked up um i dropped off bad girls which i might talk about tonight um and i left with um will eisner's the big city and the reason i picked that up i wanted to revisit it was because um, I read an advanced copy of, of an upcoming book, and it, it it's almost like it's it's a nice um, bookend to it. They they they, they work really well together. Um, and I picked up Anthony Bourdain's um, the the anthology he did with Burger Books um, last year, I believe. Um, so I'm really looking forward to um, to that as well, which I'll talk about in the near future. So I have I have a few collections to read and I'm, I'm looking forward to six days because I flipped through it and, and it does look um, it, it looks inviting which is a weird thing to say about the subject matter but it doesn't uh, I'm not I'm not a big wartime guy so um, yeah. subject matter isn't something I'm normally going to look for go after or, or be interested in but um, this this does look uh, pretty good so I'm, I'm looking forward to it it's Band of Brothers um, era, World War Two, Right. Yeah, it's got that. No, I won't say anymore because you didn't read it. But uh, so far, I mean, it's it's pretty good. Excellent. Yeah. 
Yeah. So the uh, streak continues, I guess you could say. Last week we talked about um, House of X, uh, and uh, this week uh, the second book in uh, Hickman's tenure on the X books was released, Powers of Ten. And I will not rob Jason of his glory in talking about this. So, Jason, why don't you tell him about it? Well, I think we should first start with R.B. Silva on art because I remember R.B. Silva many years ago when we started the show doing a few books and being put off to the point where I thought, oh, this art is this is a problem. Um, he, I know he did a bunch of stuff for uh IDW and it's a good reminder that uh we should be mindful when we're critiquing illustrators where they are in their career arc because mm. yeah your dog one of your dogs agrees with me yeah. um because I think Silva is freaking titan right now now he's been doing this level of work for a bit now so it's it, this is not like a coming out party for him but but this is certainly his biggest book that he's done. He's sure. been working at Marvel pretty regularly. And I thought he looked great. Um, yeah, I, I was very impressed um, with with the art. So tip my cap to him there. Um, also on a high level, I don't know what you guys thought. I, I like this a lot, but it definitely, to me, was a little bit of a victim of the fact that it followed House of X, which, as you all know from our discussion last week, I thought was pretty much the best superhero comic I've read in a long, long time. Um, I, I thought this was a little bit more in the comfort zone of the X-Men in that, like what we normally get from the X-Men, which is fine. But, but I, and I thought it was well constructed, but I didn't, I didn't come away from this issue with the same sense of wonderment that I did last week. Really? You guys, so you you disagree. Okay. Yeah. That's why I wanted to, I don't, I I don't disagree. Okay. Um, I, I don't think I can agree with that but mm-hmm. like I, just because i can't agree with it doesn't mean i'm disagreeing with it sure i i thought the scope of 10 was wider more encompassing than and that's saying a lot when you had you know the krakoa uh concept in the first one which i thought was great but this it just seemed like he pulled a little bit of days of future past definitely yeah yeah and then um, mixed it in with a little bit of the hound concept, which has been mm-hmm. an ever-present um, mm-hmm. staple of X continuity. Then you had Nimrod. Yep. But the thing that really um, got me excited is this Rasputin character. Sure. <laughs> because I, I do have a very soft spot for Ileana. Uh, and the fact that this character seems to have um, the traces of the DNA from both Peter Ileana, uh, and it's listed in here, um, Nightcrawler a little bit, mm-hmm. and um, who else? Uh, Quentin Quire, I think it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Who we know from House of X is an Omega-level mutant in in the... Uh, and and, the, and the one I'm forgetting is Kinney, who I don't know who that is. That's, that's not the only one you're forgetting. Kinney is X-23. It's Laura. Oh, you're, okay. Uh, and it doesn't say anything about... Um, it doesn't. It, it's not Ileana, bro. It's no. It's I know it's Peter not Ileana because it's because it, of the metamorphosis. But it's it's Kitty for the intangibility. Yes. Yeah. 
There you go. Yeah. So it's it's cool that it, that there's Peter and, and I Kitty. Love the breakdown. With yeah. the whole Chimera line and, and everything, I did. Yeah, with, yeah, uh, yeah. So, absolutely. So, so it's as as we've been saying, it's powers of ten, not powers of X. And lest you wonder why we get that on the first pages, because you've got a four panel, four grid page of Charles in a suit that we probably the the most common version of Charles that we know, and it's uh, X Men Year One, the Dream. Then we get a, a close-up of Charles in the way he looked in House of X with his Cerebro helmet, which is year 10, the world. And then we have X squared, year 100, the war, which is 10 times 10. And then we have X cubed, year 1000, the ascension, which is obviously 10 times 10 times 10. So much like with last week, I got to give him his propers on the, on the math love. Propers there. Um we get uh, we start off with a couple pages of Charles is hanging out in the park and uh, meeting a cute lass who looks like she's straight out of a Ren fair and uh, they have a little chit chat and she pulls out uh, she starts talking about a little little uh, fortune teller was selling wares and we get the pictures of three tarot cards um, which we quickly find out are. Uh, tarot renditions of some of these characters that we're going to meet, like Vince alluded, in the future, these super mutants. Uh, and she explains the magician, the tower, and the devil, and they're just making small talk about um, life. And she says, and you're the strong man. And, and he's like, well, wait, what? Because, you know, he's a, he's a skinny bald dude. And, uh, you know, she's like, no. And, and uh, it turns out it's Maura McTaggart. She introduces herself. and uh, and But there's more to this, because... Uh, Charles is like, wait a minute. Uh, after they have their conversation, he says, do, I, do, do we know one another? And she said, oh, yes, we go back quite a ways. And he says, who are you? And she says, why don't you read my, read my mind and see? And then his eyes widen, and he says, ah. And then we get to the the start of the next phase of the story, which is year 10, um, which is, this is the House of X continuity. And uh, get a little interaction between Raven and Eric. Um and then Charles being much like last week, Charles definitely not acting like the Charles we know and love. Basically above the fray. He comes in, basically says, What's up with this nonsense? She has a uh she has um that, that disc drive. It picks of- up right where yeah, yeah, uh, exactly. Toad and Sabretooth and, right. and Mystique left damage control last week. Right. And and she's trying to be coy with it before she hands it over to Magneto. She's trying to say she has demands. And then Charles is like, and he just yanks it from her with telekinesis and uh, basically says, I'm not going to hear any of that. And uh, and just just takes it from her and uh, basically lambastes her a little bit, kind of gives her the adult, like, grow up talk. Um, and then we get to year 100, and that's definitely the first time where we're seeing something very different. Different but the same. Like Vince said, it is another future where mutants are being um, killed off and these sentinel looking it there's a there's a very skinny almost like gundam looking alien gundam looking uh sentinel and i say sentinel because it's it's got the sentinel colors and it's hunting mutants um and then there's a a woman blonde-haired woman wearing sentinel a sentinel bodysuit of, of some sort um so, you know, they're Sentinel-esque versus necessarily like the Sentinels you would think of if you haven't read this book and just picture Sentinels in your head. Um, 
And uh, they're tracking down a relatively strange-looking mutant, a woman named uh, Syllabelle. She has uh, a see-through skull, almost like, uh, was it, myth, myth, what's the DC villain? Is it the, what's the DC villain that's? Uh, oh, Simon. There you go, like Simon. Um, and uh, they capture her, and then we are introduced to a few other mutants that are part of her crew that are hiding and watching and figuring out how to get to her. Um, there's, uh, and it's, it's, if you're paying attention, it's the, the two people that were introduced to are the people from the tarot cards. There's a, there's a young guy that looks like he basically looks like a, 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 a red nightcrawler, almost like a, a mix between uh, blink and nightcrawler. And, uh, and then there's like Vince said, dark who looks, she's got hair in her, She's got her hair and pigtails almost like um, Mirage, um, like Danny Moonstar, uh, but she's got the metal skin and, um, and the soul we sword. Don't see, yeah, well, we don't see the soul sword yet, but yeah, and then the next, when she kind of springs into action, she jumps, she's got the soul sword and she destroys, uh, she destroys one of the sentinels and uh, they battle it out and she's a fucking tank. In uh, in the uh, in the the RPG world, we call her a tank. It's ridiculous. She uh, she takes on the Sentinels pretty much single handedly with no problem. I mean, and uh, so it's clear that she is an absolute total badass. And uh, but unfortunately, her efforts to save her friend Syllabelle um, don't go well. They they manage to put her into a bubble and take her away before Darkholm can get to her. Um, uh, and then uh, we're probably about halfway through the book by the time we get to the first Hickman uh, data porn. Um, it's a little more sparsely used in this issue versus last one. Uh, and we learn about the Sinister line, a mutant breeding program that was run by Mr. Sinister. It was uh, it says it uh, basically was created on the breeding pits of Mars. So they're uh, they're all living on Mars, which is pretty crazy. And uh, and then there's a little footnote, which is Hickman studying the universe's history. It says the lost years of mutant leadership followed the almost universal death or disappearance of senior leaders and preceding the fall of Krakoa and Mars. Many believe rampant rumors that the lost years were not accidental, but purposeful. And it's funny, Vince. So this is why I, I wanted to get to this, because because last week when we talked about this, I remember you specifically noting that you would be bummed and it would sour your enjoyment of this. If Krakoa, if they, if this wasn't Panacea, if right. if things didn't go well, and we basically it took an issue for him to let us know things don't go well. Well, yeah, of course, but we're still going to get Krakoa. We're not going to magically jump into the lost years. There, mm-hmm. there, there should be a lot of stories left with Krakoa, knowing full well that it all goes down the tubes. So right. I, you know, I can deal with that. That's that's the the nature of things, right? But uh, I just think the concept is too rich to just abandon it just sure. in, in one little six-issue series or 12 or whatever. So, yeah, I'm st- uh, that's not a, a deal-breaker for me. Okay, cool. Yeah. Uh, and then we get an explanation of the Chimera, which were these groups of, of mutates that Sinister created mixing DNA. First, it was a single DNA source from an existing mutant. Then there were second and third generations um, that you, they used two separate genes. 
so basically a hybrid. Um, the third generation was five X genes brought together, and that also led to an increased number of failures, which they call the outliers. And uh, and then the fourth generation had what they call a systemic failure. The entire batch um, had were produced by a corrupted hive mind. And after they destroyed 40% of the remaining mutant population caused the fall of Krakoa itself, they committed mass suicide, collapsing Mars, the sinister pits, and themselves into a self-singularity. Now, that's pretty badass. Yep. That is pretty badass. And they show that the failure rates per generation, Gen 1 had a 0.3% failure rate, Gen 2, 1.2, Gen 3, 9.4, and then Gen 4, 62.3%. And then they show us a sample chimera strain of Rasputin and they show you five DNA strands and it's like you guys said she's got uh, Quentin Quire who's a level 10 telepath she's got uh, Peter um, who's level 6 metamorph um, Bane who's Bane who is Bane well if you don't know who Bane is I sure as hell right. don't know force field I don't know I feel like we should know I, I can't think of him met her yet or him. No, I don't know. I mean, right. Like the others. Well, I don't know. Yeah, either way. Uh, and then Kitty and then, and then Kitty, which is weird. It's weird that he shows Laura because Laura is herself a clone of Wolverine. Right. So like, mm. like that's weird to me. Like a clone of a clone. I don't know. Like, why wouldn't that be? Why wouldn't that be Logan? Right. Who knows? I don't know. We'll find yeah, out. Who knows? I'm, yeah. I'm sure Hickman has it planned out. Why that, that that's is. Probably, that's yeah. probably true. Uh, and then we're brought to a whole other scene, and it's the tower, which was the third tarot card that, that, that McTaggart referenced in her speech to Charles. And it's the tower of Nimrod the Lesser, the human machine monolith. And he's clearly the, the dictator of this, this land, and sitting on a throne with his conciliary, who this red-skinned, bald mutant. She looks sort of like uh, like Homegirl from uh, from uh, the Avengers. Uh, what's her name? Uh, the one from Doctor Who. Yeah, your girl, Gamora's sister. I can't think. Oh, of Nebula. Her. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, Nebula. She looks kind of like Nebula, only red. And uh, two humans show up with the syllabelle and bring her to him and they have a little chit chat and he's being very polite and almost, um, almost uh, apologetic to Syllabelle about the situation that she's been put in. And, but it's, you know, and then Syllabelle's like, oh, I'm going to fucking kill you if it takes a thousand years. And he's like, Oh, that's the spirit. I love it. Uh, but it's all, <laughs> it's claps. all claps. Yeah. He claps and he's like, he's loving it, I guess. Cause he's probably, he's not used to being, He's not often entertained anymore, but uh, but in the meantime, it's really all for naught because he he grabs her and outrises from the the middle of his throne room. This gigantic scientific lab type of setup where it's tons of uh, it looks like a Bakta tank on top of a bunch of other Bakta tanks, and he apologizes. He's like, "I'm so sorry for him about due to you," and it's pretty cool. He he's the tendrils come out and pick her up and put her into the top Bakta tank. And essentially what he says they're going to do is clone her a ton of times and then kill her and strip her down like tons and tons of times until they can get what they need from her. It's like Doomsday. So it's, what is that? It's like Doomsday. It's exactly yeah. like Doomsday. Yeah. Okay. 
Yeah, and we've seen the red-skinned woman last issue. That's Karima. We did? Yeah, that's the she was on the. Oh, this the, is Karima. Yeah, she was on the Sentinel satellite. Oh no, I, I didn't. How do you know this is Karima? Did they say that? She looks just like her. She looks just like her, but she could be a clone because he calls her Omega. Right. Oh, I didn't yeah, even she put could that be together. Yeah, because that's I mean, because Karima doesn't look like that in in normally, but this was a thousand years later, so I guess that makes sense. Okay, cool. Oh, that's really cool. I didn't put that together. She's got yeah. the same belly portal. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, this, Karima is a she's she's an Indian uh, woman in 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 our continuity. She's she's she doesn't have red skin. You know what I mean? Like she's right. an Indian woman who had the Sentinel. She was part of that program, the Omega Sentinel program that had the Sentinels built into the human DNA. Uh, then she was a member of the X Men for a while, uh, and then again in this she's not. So oh, that is interesting. You're right. She probably that is cool. I didn't make the connection. Neat. Oh, that's very cool. Um, then they uh, tell us more about the kennel, which is cleverly spelled K H E N N I L. Yeah, I love that. Um, and uh, what's interesting too is with each of these things that they're explaining to us—the breeding pits, the kennel, sinister—they're all past tense. Sinister was executed yeah. for his failures. The kennel was destroyed ten years ago. Mars has been destroyed, so it's it's pretty interesting. That's a very um, cocksure writer to right. just throw those kind of concepts in text pieces and with the possibility of maybe illustrating them in the future or maybe not. It's just yeah. it's a lot of very rich ideas that he's just dumping into this thing. And these this stuff is valuable. I mean, if you just take all the text pieces from this issue, you can have a year or so of continuity right there. Sure. You know? And um, while you're on the next part, I think it was very cool that we actually get to see what a black Krakoan seed does. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's true, and it's not what we thought. Well, it's not what I thought. I thought that was the the seed of of the whoever the villain was going to be. I thought the black Krakoan seeds were pocket dimensions. Yeah, I get right that aren't traceable. Yeah. So, which is where they would hide if they were trying to get away from these uh, mutant killers. Yeah, it's pretty cool. So to your point, they I didn't mention they plant one of this the, they plant it while they're fighting to try and free their friend Syllabelle and it finally grows into the gateway. They go through it and then this is the scene where they walk through and, and it's called the No Place Hub. And uh they're they're off screen or are their compatriots or their bosses. They're reporting in, basically explaining that mission didn't go well, that Syllabelle's probably dead, that Percival, their other counterpart, is, is dead for sure. And then we get to the next scene, and who is it but some old-ass versions of Wolverine. And uh, I know y'all like that they drew him like Puck. They, they drew him Absolutely. Like Without a doubt. Without yeah. a doubt. The way he should be. I think if R.B. Silva made one mistake in this, it's how he drew Magneto. It's a, it's a little wonky version of Magneto, I think. But maybe it's because he's supposed to be old and frail. But it's it's Magneto wearing a green costume. It's old Wolverine. Because uh, he does draw him the way... He should look, or the, the the beefier version when when uh, right, right, Mystique yeah. shows up. Yeah, it's Zorn, good old Zorn, and then freaking Groot. Yep, like an old all grown up Groot with a big old scruffy beard. Looks like tree <laughs> beard. beard. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, and then he says, "All right." And then you think that that's like the leadership, and then, uh, and then Logan's like, "Okay, well, was the mission all for naught?" And uh, they say, no, we, we got it. And, and Logan says, okay, well, then follow me. The old man's waiting. So 
the old man. Um, I, I don't understand how Charlie could live that long, but it remains to be he's seen. Popping into bodies. Well, I was going to say bodies. maybe he's just right. Maybe he's put his mind somewhere else. Could be. Then we get a little more history. the The total population of mutants on is now ten thousand or less than ten thousand. Yeah. And most of them don't live on Earth or in this our solar system anymore. There are two main groups in Shi'ar space, the Benevolence, which is the big one. There's about 7,900-plus known mutants there. And there's Chandelar, which is the Shi'ar homeworld, with about 1,800 mutants. And then there's Asteroid K, which is where they just were. That is basically, it's like Asteroid M with Krakoa, which is an awesome concept. And that is a population of eight, so we know that is where these dudes are hiding out. There was ten. Yeah, there was ten. (laughs) <laughs> but the, the fact that all these renegade mutants are now the Shi'ar Imperial Guard, that's freaking cool. Yeah. That's very neat. And again, mm-hmm. you could have a 12-issue series on that. Like He's just populating this thing with so much smart that... I mean, uh, how I hesitate to guess what he has planned. If he's dumping... I mean, you don't play your best hand. You know, right off the bat. If he's throwing these kind of concepts out here, he must have something really incredible planned. You're right. Because yeah, we, it, we live in just, a, you know, a one-up society where the next thing has to be better than the thing before. Like, how's he going to top himself? It just, it, uh, I, I find it very classy that he's, he's throwing this kind of information in here this early. Well, and your point, I mean, it even goes on to say that uh, the 1,800 or so mutants on... Chandelar have by by treaty agreed to be part of the Imperial Guard, but there are six super guardians of that group and fifty seven sub guardians. So I, again, he's slaying the seeds. Like who are the six? The six are probably right. six that we know, or, or or at least that we or offshoots that we know. And then there's an asterisk to that where it says Empress Zandra has had long had whispered ambitions to annex the Soul System. Yep. So you wonder, are we going to see that? Are we going to see the Shi'ar try and take over Earth and the and the mutants be her? Her engine for that. Uh, and then we jump to year 1000, um, where you see a blue-skinned dude hanging out in the archives of Nimrod the Greater, the mutant library. And there's this little floating uh, little, dro- little droid drone-looking thing uh, talking to the blue-skinned guy or girl. I don't know if it's a guy or girl. Calls the librarian. And... Uh, and it turns out that uh, the drone is uh, is basically the the evolution of uh, of, of the Sentinels. I mean, it, that's that's I take that as that's Nimrod, right? Yeah, that's uh, what uh, I thought. Yeah, yeah, to look like. And the, the Hound is still uh, still steeping. That's going to be a pretty tasty tea once they yeah. decide to empty out that goo. That that keg. Yeah, that's some ambrosia right there. <laughs> And they talk about how important it is to keep a record of the great sins of history, even better to preserve a remnant, something to point at, uh, and hope to God they never have dominion again. And it looks through this geodesic dome into a forest, and we just see two a man and a woman naked in the woods, which I'm sure is a direct nod to Adam and Eve. Sure. So the idea of they're keeping humans around to remind them of the sins of the past which is uh quite quite 
thought-provoking. The hair of the man has me uh, a little concerned. Because he's got a little bit of Wolverine going on there. <laughs> but that's okay. If you want resiliency, that's that's the DNA to grab, I guess. Yeah, I guess. I just have one nagging concern about this whole thing mm-hmm. when you know I'm waiting to read it. Uh, I'm wait- waiting to own it, really own it in, in mm-hmm. hardcover, which I'm assuming it's going to be. But maybe I'm they're sure going to have to combine both series you can't and, release a powers yeah, of right. 10 and a, and a house of x separately because you're going to read the first chapter of one oh wait i got to get the other book read the first chapter right. of the, like you got to well, combine this yes and because it does say you know two series that are one it says that in the reading order list but don't forget the reading order list also you're not reading one through six straight you're not reading them one you're not alternating because the reading order does break it down where you're going to have um, the second and third issue of um, Powers of Ten come out a week apart. So you're not getting House. You're getting House of X number two next week on the seventh. The week after that, Powers of Ten number two, and the week after that, Powers of Ten number three. So you don't get the third issue of House of X until the end of August. Well, so, even more toward the point, you're going to read two issues of one and then flop over and read another. So so the, the collection is going to have to be this reading order. I can't see any other way. Yeah, it has to be. But that's just optimism. Like, right. If they can charge 20 bucks Oh, absolutely. Piece, yeah, give you six issues yeah. of this and six issues of that. Yeah. I could see them offering it separate and combined. Well, yeah, I'm going for the combined. separate first, and then and then yeah, like an oversized hardcover with everything, yeah. but then separate all the covers and uh, yeah, like it's nuts that DC's releasing half of uh, Doomsday Clock. Doomsday, and, yeah. It, yeah, why? Yeah, yeah. Why are you doing that? It makes no sense. And you're so close to the the, the finish line on this. You have two more Let's issues. Be honest, are they you know what? <laughs> They're doing it because it's taking three years to come out. Right. Yeah, and 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 they'll do they'll do the two. The two collections, and then they'll do the the deluxe omnibus. It's it's not right. Uh, Who in their they're... right mind is going to order the first half? Like, you right. just I, wait. Can't, I can't picture too many LCSs stocking that. No, no. Everyone's just going to wait till it's uh, here comes the second collection. Okay, and, and about uh, how many months later you're going to get? Oh, the the, the definitive complete Doomsday right. yeah. Clock in one hardcover. Mm-hmm. I'll just wait for that. I'm not. I, I have lots to read. Many, many books to tide me over. I don't need it now. Sure. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, no, I think um, with Powers of Ten, I as great as House of X was, and 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 I adore it. This it it wasn't it wasn't a letdown by any means because it's not the same. I'm not trying to compare the two, but it did not. Um, it the night it, it didn't light my ass on fire the way House of X did. I I'm not I, I'm I'm kind of it's weird. You can't really say it about Hickman where you you, you can't say you know show don't tell because Hickman mm-hmm. likes to do the info dumps and that's where you're going to get a lot of things. So that's fine. But um, you know we know the future is never good for mutants. It it, it never is. And and, and showing us what's going to happen in a hundred years and in a thousand years, that's not. Um, you know, that that's nothing in there was really shocking. I, I mean, the concepts, the ideas that we see, and and, and how they 
they come to pass is is going to be interesting. But I, I was kind of I was hoping for more maybe present day straightforward story. I I, I the time jumps are cool because you get to see where things are going, um, but it's it wasn't. Um, I guess after the first issue, what I was expecting, um, or what I had hopes for, and and that's that's on me that they just they weren't matched to, to that level, and and that's fine. This is still the story he's telling, and, and it's still going to, it's going in the direction he wants to to go in, and and that's fine, and it's absolutely going to. I'm I'm going to be blown away at the end. I mean the 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 holy ship moment for um for powers of ten doesn't happen until um. The sixth issue, anyway, according to this reading list. But the um, you should be pissed that he did that. No, I'm not. That's not a spoiler. No. So now you anticipate <laughs> something for a very particular issue is not a spoiler. No, well, first of all, I'm not. I'm I'm not going for the next the next eleven weeks, ten weeks now. Thinking, oh, I wonder what it's going to be. I'm going to turn the page here. No, here, right? But you know it's coming. Here. But it, it, but it, that's. I don't know what it's going to be, though. It, it could be, it, it could be something with Charles. It could be something with, with Scott, because there's no, there's no Cyclops, in in this book. So you know, I don't know. You know, maybe maybe Scott and Slim and Susie start, you know, doing something again. I don't. You know, there just there are, things that um, I, I know that there are apparently going to be big doings in those in these three issues, but I don't know what they can be. So so. That's fine. I'll I'll read it when it comes out that day and find out when it is. But that that's not every every issue should have something right yeah. happen. But you know, I mean, so so that the fact that you know he's just letting you know, hey, we're giving you a couple issues where you can maybe catch your breath, or just you know we're telling this story because we're setting up a new status quo. But keep in mind, um, something, or, and, and it's not necessarily a spoiler. It's just something maybe earth shattering as far as the story goes like you may think we're just cruising by and idling along and and things are cool um but he just wants to give you a heads up so i mean i i have no problem with that if, if, if he wants to bait people and and you know dangle something in front of them so they can be excited about it that that's cool i'm, I'm excited about it in general i i don't need the carrot but um the fact that it's there for others is is probably neat. Could have been the, a, a nice little clandestine heads up to the retailers too. If if the horse's mouth is it. telling sure. you, right. you right. Know, yeah. Yeah. this is in red, <laughs> you may want to up your orders a little bit. You're on right, these. right. Yeah. Uh but no, I think uh Silver's art Silver's art was um was on point in a lot of places. I, I um I ain't mad at, at really anything anything in the book. I guess I was just hoping for more of what we're setting up and that's what and that's what house of x is for that's that's i'm not going to call the main book but that's that's what's happening in the present day powers of 10 is designed to, to let you know what's what's happening in the future and and the way he has things broken down of course it, it, it's like when you know slot had peter become a captain of industry and we're just waiting for the other shoe to drop, because that's what happens. This is, you know, Hickman's like, you know, hey, we're trying to set things up, and and mutants are trying to, you know, let Homo sapiens know what's up, um, and no matter what their best intentions are, it never goes right 
for the mutants. So it's still the future. Things still go sideways for them, and and that's you can expect more of that. But um, it was it was another solid first issue. It just, um, like I said, it just didn't it didn't knock me back the way House of X did. Mm. House of X to me was like a Larry Niven or a, or a Jerry Pornell type of science fiction where perfectly serviceable, interesting concepts, but more, uh, I mean, deep concepts. But then this Powers of X, it reads to me more like Dick or or uh, William Gibson. Like there's there's really probing. There's a lot of exploration going on here with the, the thing that makes mutants mutants and how it's exploited and defiled and degenerated and almost eradicated. Like that's when, when I think speculative speculative fiction. There's guys that do the the, uh, the space opera really well, and I mean, and it's all entertaining. I thought the the um, the first issue, which uh, House of X, was more uh, action, big budget movie to please people, where this Powers of X is more of a darker, dystopian, Gibson-esque type thing. Where this, I, I gravitate towards the latter. You know, I mean, yeah, give me the big fight scenes and stuff and the, you know, the let's see where all these characters uh, are, you know, now the Magneto and the Charles. And that, that was fun. But this the the Vista is wider on Powers of Ten for me. Sure. Oh, yeah. Without a doubt. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I think I fall I fall more in line with, with Dap in the sense that I liked it. But I, I guess for me, th- this issue, like if I had just read Powers of Ten hadn't read House of X, I would feel like, oh, okay, yeah, Hickman's taking his stab at, at the X-Men. But it's the same concepts that every other writer has taken their stab at every year or two, and it's why it feels stale in the sense. But Hickman could do a really cool version of it, so that's cool. Like, Remender did a really cool version of the stuff he loved about the X-Men in his run with X-Force, and it was awesome. So I think this is going to be an awesome version, but I would have read that and thought, okay... We got the Shi'ar, we got Days of Future Past, like, okay, it's like the obligatory things that every X-Men writer has to write about, and I, I'd rather see a new concept. Give me give me a different, give me a different set of circumstances. Give me a different antagonist. I don't, I don't, like, I don't know why we feel that, like, that the X-Men are boxed into this world where that everybody has to have their story where there's a broken up future and that there's a Shi'ar space, like, I just don't, like, these characters can do other things. They can have other adventures. Right. Um, like when they were at their peak, it wasn't because they were just going back to Shi'ar in the future every, every year or two. It's just, they fell into that rut. And uh, this felt a little bit more like Hickman trying to figure out a way to take the stuff that everybody's written about the X-Men always and make it cool. So that's like, good. like I'm all for that. I'm all for him making him him making a cooler version of the thing that like other writers have done a million times and it wasn't cool but i don't know like i i guess for me house of x felt more like really new ideas right like where i was like okay you're you're trying to actually do something different here so but, but they 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 obviously intertwine so right yeah, right I, you know but this issue casts a very revealing light on house of x number one because all that sturm und drang with the 
with uh, Magneto at the end, like we're gods and you're going to answer to uh-huh. us and, and we're being benevolent, yet we can destroy you with a snap of our fingers. All that's a load of horse shit. We see it doesn't pan out well, that way. It's, well, no, it's just that machines win, right? Right. Well, that's the thing. You have, right. you have but he doesn't. He but they don't know it. They, of course, today they don't. they don't know it's not horseshit. No, so it's, but it's, Hickman it's, is telling us that speech that we heard Magneto make at the end of issue number one didn't amount to a whole hell of a lot. So, if anything, I should be more pissed at Powers of Ten for letting me know that whatever was set up in the first. Well, only if you draw the line. Well, to that end, why, why are why are okay? You want to tell me Logan can live a thousand years because dude has got the healing factor? Maybe, but that's pushing it because he is he is aging faster than that in the in the Marvel universe, right? Like, right. like Logan, modern Logan is a dude in his late forties, early fifties, so he's roughly aging two uh, and a half uh, to three x's fat, like as slow as as a human. So he'd still be dead. Well, I don't hard, know but, about that. When you take but then, away, but, but then why is Magneto? How's Magneto? Alive? Oh, I don't know about that. He's but, just human. But when you take away all of the the ailments that bring people down—heart disease, cancer, um, the the litany of things that destroy people—if your body can eliminate those, who's to say that the healing factor doesn't also regenerate dead? Anything, brain cells, skin cells, bone. Like, but well, his boners age. Why wouldn't he? My point is, is if 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 that's true, then why wouldn't he still look twenty five? If his cellular, if his cellular, if his cells weren't breaking down that fast at all, he why would he look like he's in his late forties, early fifties? Right. I don't know, but I'm. It's, I would, a, it's a total nerd nitpick again. Sure. I, I mean, it's it's just, this is ridiculous, but I. I did wonder. I mean, Groot makes sense because he's a giant plant creature. For all I know, dude could his lifespan may be ten thousand years. Who the hell knows? Um, and and Zorn is kind of a cosmic. I mean, it might not even be the same Zorn, but Zorn is like got a black hole for a head. So I'm assuming that probably gives you a decent lifespan. And uh, yeah, I don't know. Well, if you, I mean, you can argue that Swamp Thing is eternal. Swamp Thing can never die. Yeah. No. Right. Right. No, so if you yeah, have a, yeah. if you have the ability to grow another body. Sure. The thing that's important is the consciousness driving the body. So I could see Groot living forever. All he has yeah. to do is just make more bodies. I mean, maybe it's not Magneto. Maybe it's Magneto's grandson. Uh, it could be. It. Yeah. The possibilities are endless, though. That's what's good about mm-hmm. these things. It's not. You're right. It's it, although it does have the the uh, a lot of the staples of the X universe. It doesn't seem stale or stodgy and he's not exploiting them he's just saying oh you know those hounds that you love so much from way back when this this chick's a hound right so i mean it's so it's not he's not beating it to death he's just using things that have existed in the x universe right and it's probably all going to fall by the wayside by the time this thing is over maybe we'll get a new status quo at the end of this hopefully it would be nice Totally. Yeah. I think it's another winner. Yeah, no, I enjoyed it. It, it. It's 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 just purely less people listen, I think. It's just purely a victim of circumstance because it's it's like um, 
I'm trying to think of a politically correct uh, way to say this. Um, it's like having relations with Kate Upton one night, and then you you get to go on a date with the prettiest girl at your, from your college the next night. Like it's it's awesome, but it's it's not Kate Upton. <laughs> I mean, it's like so you know, it's it's a hard act to follow. It's a all. very difficult act to follow. <laughs> <laughs> So, props to Justin Verlander, by the yeah. way. Yeah, yeah. It's cool beans, whatever the case. Yes. All right. What else do we have? What else, fellas? I have something that was a surprise. Um, usually, I mean, I, I don't make any bones about it. I, I buy a ton of comics from Alterna. I buy most of what they publish. And I'll be honest, a lot of the stuff, while enjoyable, isn't really worth talking about. Mm -hmm. I enjoy it. I don't really expect others to enjoy it because I I take solace in the fact that I'm reading a comic book on newsprint. um, And I understand fully that my tastes are not the tastes of everyone. But... I recently received the uh, last issue, double-sized, of a six-issue series written by Ben Slabak, illustrated by Salomon Farias, with color art by Mark Sintes. The uh, The series is called Exilium. Huh. And, and the, pre- the premise is really cool. Um, you have your typical government efforts to squelch the existence of aliens. Well, I mean, the X-Files is built on it. All of uh, A lot of speculative science fiction is built on the fact that the government knows and is covering up the fact that aliens exist for whatever reason. They don't want to instill chaos or have looting and riots in the streets and fear. And Well, uh, the government didn't really have a choice in this series because the aliens pull up right at our doorstep, and it's the greys. And they are fleeing from a superior force their planet was overrun they had no recourse but to leave to find another place to live and what do you know they they find earth right as you probably expect chaos erupts in the wake of their arrival you have uh, a divided humanity some people see the arrival of the aliens as a very good thing the, the scope of our existence just blew up. Now we can encompass another race and we can learn. They can learn from us and we can have a good time. Kumbaya, right? But you have this this other sh- slice of humanity that wants nothing to do with them. Um, Earth for Earthlings. And, and they're not having these guys. Um, so uh, the government and the aliens uh, make a human-alien alliance. Everything's fine except... The people that would not uh, share their planet refuse to do so, and there's there's violence and and death and 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 killing, and so the uh, the group that wouldn't share their planet with the aliens they leave, they head out, they they get in ships and they they vacate the the Sol system, and and this is where my enjoyment of the book jumped from uh, a six to about a 10. Because when you take real-world stuff and stick it in fiction 
and I recognize it, like, wow, you just made my day because I'm reading it and, and, um, it's the, the flashbacks are told in, um, Sometimes a bedtime story to a little girl, sometimes a father and a son fishing, and the son will ask a question, and the father will tell, and it's all backstory, right? And so it's said that the humans traveled 1,500 light years away. I'm like, okay, that's, that's a, 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 an odd, very specific number. And then the alphanumeric string. KIC 8462852 is specifically listed in a pa- in a panel and I'm like I know that number. So I'm thinking and I was like oh god damn I remember an interview with the awesome Michio Kaku and there's a the star known as KIC 8462852 is an anomaly because as we're scanning the heavens and we, we take note of the brightness, the magnitude of, of the various stars, and it's in the Orion system, I think. Say, no, the Cygnus. Um, and we take note of the magnitude of, of stars. KIC, we'll call it Kick. the light diminishes 22% from this thing on occasion. And the average light diminishing of stars is roughly two percent and scientists were like wondering why the frig does this star occasionally the light diminishes 22 percent and they speculate of course and there's a theory that there is an alien superstructure orbiting this star that is immense bigger than obviously big enough to blot out the light from this star 22 percent of it anyway and um that's exactly where these humans build this uh, gigantic um, living environment around this star. That's a real thing. Now, you, you may say that the giant alien superstructure isn't a real thing, and that's not the point. The point is that Slaback is up on his science and took this real-world bit and stuck it in this science fiction story. And used it to his to his own ends. Like that, to me, you've won me right there. If you can make me think of Michio Kaku and a giant alien superstructure orbiting a, a star in the Cygnus system, you got me, right? Um, so the the dissenters leave the planet and they they make one transmission. We get one garbled, indecipherable transmission and then we never, uh, they're never heard from again, okay? But here's the the rub the arrival of the alien fleet did one one very very bad thing because as the aliens were fleeing their oppressors their oppressors followed and the uh humans and the gray aliens band together and they're struggling to stay alive against this mechanized cyber-based foe and eventually they retreat underground they have they're outmanned and their um, weapons of war are dwindling to the point where they can't even fight back. So what, what, what do they do? How do they survive? Well, there's a plan to contact the original, uh, that, that segment of mankind that fled the planet. There's a, uh, a last, there's a Hail Mary to try and get into contact with them. And that's what this series is about. And I thought it was pretty damn awesome. It's it's a lot of fun. Now we're talking alternate comics. 
So they're cheap. Each issue was a buck and a half mm -hmm. for 30 pages of story. 30, 31 in some instances. And the sixth issue was $1.99 for more than 50 pages of story. It's it's a crazy value. Um, yeah. The the art by um, uh, Solomon Farias, there's room to grow. I'm not going to say he's the greatest thing to ever grace the comic page. His line is a little unemotional. It's a the the line weight is pretty constant through all his his uh, mark making, which it okay. You you have room to grow, um, he, and he doesn't take a whole lot of risks with um page layout panel composition it's 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 very by the numbers but it's it's the guy can draw right um and and design the aliens are are really well designed the, the ships are cool uh so i mean it's it's win-win for me what, what i'm saying is because it's alterna there there's a, a little bit of a learning curve going going on here and it it looks really good to me right um, there's a couple funny things in this. There's an artificial intelligence. The the female protagonist, her name is Nia. There's an artificial intelligence that follows her around later on in the series. It's a personal holographic concierge. But its um its anagram name is P H O C. And so <laughs> and so when she addresses it. She says, fuck on or fuck off. Uh-huh. <laughs> that is so cute. It's so, and, and the, uh, the alien, the gray alien that's working with this little band of, of rebels is, his name is Taru. T-R apostrophe U. And people call him True. And he's like, that's not my name, dude. My name is Taru, right? He can't believe even, even this alien can't believe that they would name this thing Fock. He said, that is so juvenile. <laughs> but no, I, I loved it. I thought it was great. Um, it's a wonderful little... If, if you're on the fence and you, you've seen these Alterna books and you're like, I don't know if I want to take a chance, pick up an issue, flip through it, right? And it's not a major investment. It's a buck and a half an issue, uh, two bucks for the last. And you're getting, do the math, five issues times 30 pages is uh, 150 pages plus 50. It's like a 200-page story for less than 10 bucks. That is right? a good deal. Yeah, I have a um, I have a couple of issues of. Uh, it came out on a Wednesday downstairs. Yeah, that I flipped through. Um, Log is the best. I, I um uh I I don't know if I if I did order it or not now, but Gods and Gears. Was, oh yeah, um, I'm down with that too. I think it's either a four or six issue series, but yeah. But I didn't see the uh, the second issue this month, so I guess it's bi monthly. Yeah, a lot of their books are bi monthly. Yeah, give them time to to get her done. But uh, I, I almost have a blanket. Like I just when I see the Alterna, click 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 click. click I just get them because they come to like a buck. Right. With, with our DCBS discount, it's not it's not a huge investment. Some are winners, some are losers. Um, but this one was definitely a winner. I enjoyed this a lot. Yep. Nice. Yep. What you got? Um, well, real quick, because it's something that um, I um, 
there's a four issue miniseries from from Titan under their hard case crime line. Uh, Mickey Spillane's Mike Hammer, written by Max Allen Collins. Um, the story is uh, the night I died, and I read the first three issues. And as I was putting things together to to pull books out, I realized I didn't read the fourth, so I, I finished it and um, and. There's one of two things that I read or, or finished yesterday that that uh, this definitely feels like that noir PI story set in that era. Um, Collins knows how to write these characters, knows how to set the tone, um, but I didn't. I didn't really love the art. It was. Um, it's kind of stiff in places. It, I, the, the artwork is by um, Marcello Salazar and Marcio Friere, and um, it's they know how to draw ladies, and the figure work is okay, but the the sequential storytelling I don't think is is all there as um as tight as it could be but it was it, it was an neat enough story um it ends the way i think you would kind of expect a uh, a my camera story to end the covers are fantastic which um titan tends to do that on on their adaptations um but yeah no it was it was a um It was what I was expecting, so I, I, I have no real complaints about that. But the other thing that I've read that I forgot about um, is something that I've been sitting on for a while and, and packed it away when we moved. Um, and this is from Comic Mix, published by IDW, and this is uh, John Sable Freelance, Ashes of Eden. And I I tend to pick up John Sable issues when I find them in the back issue bins at um at conventions. Uh it was one of the it was one of the first comics that um published by first comics that that I would um check out. I do like Grill's work and here this is this looks just like he would have drew it back then in the eighties. He he kinda hasn't really lost a step. Um it is written and drawn by Mike Grell. John Workman is your letterer. And what I liked about this particular graphic novel, and it's a complete story. Um, if you're not familiar with John Sable, Grell has a little trick, not even a little trick, but he, when you're introduced or reintroduced to John Sable's supporting cast, uh, they all, get a couple of pages to reflect on your relationship with John Sable. So you're getting, you're getting info on who these characters are, what they mean to John, what John means to them um, without getting bogged down with, you know, a lot of text pieces or, or anybody actually having a conversation as to, you know, how long they've been friends and, and what they do for each other. Uh, for anybody who doesn't know, John Sable um, is a, Hired bodyguard, um, courier, um, whatever you need him to do 
he'll do. Uh, but he also has a um, kind of a secret identity where he uh, is a children's author, B.B. Um, Flynn, complete with blonde wig and mustache. And uh, so he gets to kind of blend into different places depending on what um, the situation calls for. Uh, but he has no problem. It's kind of like, James Bond in the sense where if he's being threatened or if someone he cares about or if, if it doesn't matter, there is no he, he cares about his friends. But um, if anybody comes between him and his friends, if if, uh, if, if it comes down to if someone's trying to terrorize um, a building, a room full of people and let off a bomb. Uh, he has no problem. He's not trying to be the good guy and, and save everybody. He'll take out the person with the bomb, doesn't matter how, uh, and won't shed any sleep over um, over whether or not he did the right thing. It doesn't that doesn't matter what what type of person um, they were. That's that's what the job entailed. Um, but I was there were since. Since the John Sable books from first and, and and it was a relaunch, I think it was just called Sable. Um, but I know there have been a couple of graphic novels put out by Comic Mix. And um, there's another one, I think, Blood Trails, which takes place before Ashes of Eden, which I, I, I have and have to read. But um, this had a little bit of a mystery to it. And... Um, there aren't too many people who you're really rooting for. Uh, you know, Sable's going to pretty much win, but just like if, if you're watching a Bond movie, um, you know he's going to get beat up quite a bit before he actually does come out on top. But there, the, the other characters involved are um, the woman who illustrates his uh, his books, his his BB Flynn books um, that he has had, he's in a relationship with. There's a, um, but there's also his agent who he also had a relationship with at one time. And there is Maggie the cat, who's a cat burglar, and of course they've um, been intimate. So so Sable doesn't. He's he's. Again, it's got that kind of uh, James Bond feeling. I keep saying Bond, but he's he's not a spy in any way, shape, or form. But it was um, it, it kind of what I enjoyed about this this story was that it, it basically instantly transported me back to to those first comics days when when I would read those stories and and you know they weren't wasn't any heavy lifting involved. Um, Grell knows his weapons and and. Uh, John Sable is is an expert marksman. Uh, he um, he was uh, he was an Olympic level um, fencer, but that um, that didn't go um, very far. But it's uh, yeah, I just it, it's not a character that I think about all that often. But when I found this and and started reading it, it just reminded me of. Um, what I enjoyed it. And first, I mean, you know, you had E-Man, you had, there were just a bunch of books. It was a very diverse line. And, um, and yeah, there was just something about Sable. Not that, you know, I 
never held a gun, never fired a gun, but this is a dude who just apparently, because of Mike Grell, um, and the detail he put into, I mean, it's almost like Elliot R. Brown level um, detail when it came to some of the weapons. But yeah, I just, I, I love the story. And it was, I wasn't sure if it would be the type of story where I'd be able to kind of recapture that that feeling I had from from way back, but but I did. Grell really just hasn't. Um, like I said, it looks just like it would have had he uh, had he drew it from first way back when. So um, now, unlike other other artists, we tend to see as they get on and or, or they change up their style to to meet deadlines or, or to to churn out as much work as they can. Um, Grell still has that that distinct style and. Still knows how to tell a story with it. So yeah, this is um, Ashes of Eden was pretty. Uh, it's not going to. It's not exactly going to make my my classics, but it, it was it was a nice, comfortable pair of jeans that um, that just really kind of hit the spot. Sweet. One of the things uh, before we move on, we didn't mention. Uh, when we were talking about the uh, powers of ten, Marvel's giving away packets of seeds, Krakoa seeds, for the, the this new promotion. Did you guys see true. that? Yeah, I did. That's crazy. I love it. That's uh-huh. cool. That is cool. I don't know what they grow, but and and I wonder how you get your hands on them because Dap, did you see any at this shop? Sticky you- icky event. <laughs> I I did not, but I'll I'll ask them uh, next week. Yeah, be cool little. Um, I don't know how long the. I mean, this is not something you're going to put in a mylar bag, because I'm sure entropy will affect those seeds and they'll get all nasty. But as a promotional tool, I think it's a good idea. Yeah, that's clever. Yeah, yeah it's very clever. I'm wondering if uh, uh, I'm going to call him Hickey. I wonder if Hickey that was his idea. I would guess. <laughs> Never again. <laughs> <laughs> what up, Hickey? No, nah, he'd, he'd be not. like, "Nah, son, see you later." Exactly. Slap <laughs> the taste out your mouth. That's all right. What you got, freak? Dad, why I look at your list every day, waiting to see you put bottom feeders on it, and it never is there. Oh, you know why? Probably because it's. Well, I know you ordered it. I did, I did, and I bet it's in this big fucking box right here next to me. Oh, okay. I did my previous video, so yeah, I and I saw that you did it. I saw it was on your list, and I'm like, "Oh fuck!" Don't talk about any of the other graphic novels. Oh you have yeah, on no, no, no. I, I'm gonna save this one for you to okay. read so we can tag, tag him on it. But I just I'll, get on. I'll it. read That's it this all. weekend. I will. Nice. I will. Okay. Um, first of all, I actually it, I probably should have done this um, at the beginning. I, I do have a thank you in the sense that um, I it's a little bit of serendipity. I I you all know I've been reading a lot of the of gra- a lot of graphic novels, and uh, I've been pre-ordering a decent chunk of what no brow has been putting out and um, had a few GNs that they put out ready to talk about that uh, just haven't gotten a chance to because of uh, my vacation. And then we had the guests and all that. Um, but coincident with that, uh, our good friend, Tony Esmond, who we've talked about on the show. In fact, he's been on the show before. Um, one of our British buddies, he works for no brow. Now he was, oh, he had a, he had a career. He retired he does another. Uh, he he does. Uh, he's a big. He's super in. Has always been super into indie comics, and uh, 
I think he befriended the No Brow crew and ended up working with them. So he's doing sales and marketing for them now. So he put uh, he ended up having the New York office of No Brow send me a bunch of their product. Which is serendipitous. First of all, it's super awesome, but it's serendipitous because for the most part, save for one book, I had already bought the books that they sent me. So I'm going to provide those cop- extra copies to our loving patrons. Nice. Yes. Um, but one of the books, which I did receive a second copy of and definitely deserves many of your attention. I already told our good friend Cliff, one of our North Carolina bros, uh, this about this book because it features uh, – it is a book about surfing and Cliff is a surfer. And that is called In Waves uh, by No Brow. It is uh, written and drawn by A.J. Dungo. D-U-N-G-O. It is nearly 400 pages. And it's a relatively simple book to describe. Uh, It's a simple idea executed very, very well. Um, It's a true story. It is a story of AJ uh, and his uh, love of his life, his wife, Kristen, and on one hand, half of the story is that, and it, it's, it's a story of, of, of their meeting and then their relationship. Um, and unfortunately Kristen died of cancer. Um, but Kristen was, they, this is all takes place in Southern California. Kristen grew up a surfer. And when AJ met her, he was brought into the world of surfing and it became one of their things. It was her happy place. The beach, the ocean was her happy place. And uh, this the this book in waves chronicles the journey from um, their early days to her being diagnosed with cancer and the ups and downs of that because she unfortunately had a bunch of different uh, recurrences of cancer. She lost her leg and couldn't surf anymore, uh, and so uh, she would just sit on the beach and be happy and get great joy of watching AJ and uh, and Kristen's brother, who was his good friend, surf together. Um, but then rather than it just be a slice of life book about him coming to terms with his wife's passing, um, the mastery here is that it it's it's half the book is that and the other half of the book is essentially a history of surfing, um, which I found fascinating because I don't I didn't know very much about um, the history of surfing. So we get all the way back to the ancient Polynesians and how the advent of what we call surfing came to be. Uh, we get a history of, of, of Duke Kahanamoku and arguably the, 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 the most famous or the first famous surfer, the one that basically turned surfing into a uh, bridge, the gap between the, the Polynesian cultural uh, pastime that it was into it being a very popular uh, way to get tourists to come to the island and spend lots of money getting lessons and learning from the locals Uh, all the way through to Tom Blake, who many of you may know is the father of the modern surfboard. Um, And so we get these interstitial chapters about that. So we learn about the history of surfing from its very origins, its primal origins all the way through to modern times and then juxtaposed against their very personal story and true story of this woman who just loved surfing in the ocean more than anything 
and uh, really loved it till the very end when they she she had a chance to go out in the water with them right before she passed. Um, artistically, it's it's a very uh, a very simple line. Each page is relatively sparse. Um, he actually uh, he actually cites um, people like uh, like uh, Chris Ware and. Um, uh, other fanographics type, um, uh, Adrian Tomine, he cites those those creators as, as being his inspirations. So stylistically, you can see that. Um, the other really cool thing is that the chapters that are about their lives are in ocean blue. Uh, maybe even lighter than that. Maybe like a teal blue, but just very light blue. Uh, and then the chapters that are about the history of surfing are in sepia. So visually, it's a wonderful juxtaposition and uh, makes it very easy to understand whether you're taking a history lesson or taking a piece of their uh, of their lives for uh, for, for your enjoyment. But um, I, I know it. Listen, I understand a, a book about someone dying of cancer doesn't exactly sound like a, a barn burner. I, I get that. But but uh, it's a beautiful book. And, and and I actually was taken by it so much that I read an interview with him after the fact. And he was approached by No Brow to do the book four months after she passed away. So for him, he said he was very reluctant at first for obvious reasons, but it ended up being very cathartic for him and, and her family and all that. Like, so uh, it is a book about death, but it's, it's uplifting because it's, it's the, the thing about this woman, at least the way he portrays her um, or the way he wants people to remember her is that she loved life. She didn't let the fact that she suffered from cancer ruin the last 10 years of her life. she, fought it and then every moment that it was in relapse or under control um they lived life to the fullest to whatever extent possible traveling and uh enjoying the love of her family and her husband and so uh, i think there's a really powerful message there and i think that uh the old adage a spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down i think having that this also be a book about the history of surfing um is a very nice and thoughtful structure to be able to share the story without it just feeling like a complete gut punch. So uh, ma- massively successful work. Uh, um, I'll be talking a lot in the coming weeks about No Brow because I have a stack of No Brow books that I've either read or, or plan to read in the coming weeks. And uh, they're a pretty awesome publisher. And I don't know, maybe you know, Vince, I don't know if they're just putting out more work now or I'm just noticing it more because they have a pretty lengthy catalog of stuff that's come out in the last year or two yeah i think they've ramped it up it um, seems like i keep have, an eye on their stuff and it's usually like there would be some months where you just get one right but then sometimes there's three so yeah i mean to, from someone who just notices their presence in the previews it does seem like there's the outputs more than it used to be but yeah, you know, yeah. i could could be totally off my rocker on that when it's done well i love process like I, I think you're you're a fan of Kerouac, right, Vince? Hell yeah. Yeah, I mean, I I love Kerouac because of the love that he puts in them in, in in the mundane, right? Like like in Dharma Bums, where he spends chapters talking about cooking lentils. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's probably why Moby Dick's one of my favorite books. So for a lot of people, Moby Dick is insufferable because it's so monotonously detailed and uh, um, process driven. Right, I mean, there's entire chapters about baleen or ambergris or the process of spearing a whale or uh, cleaning a boat, right? And 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 that can be tedious, but for me, it 
almost lulls me into an immersion. So I love process when it's done artistically. And this book is very much that. I mean, the chapters where Blake is making the surfboard, I mean, he shows you in a very Chris Ware way the board from its its primal wood form, tree form to being shaped and, and sanded and, and uh, he shows you the, the mechanics of, of, of swimming in the ocean or the mechanics of, of catching a wave and the balance. And uh, it's just all done. It's, it's, it's done meticulously, but it has heart. And uh, I, I, the, the older I get, the more I realize those are, those are home run stories for me. Uh, and I say that because I, I'm quite aware that that may not be the kind of book that appeals to everybody. So hopefully you listeners know your own hot buttons. And if, if that's the kind of story that you dig, then you're going to love this book. Like, I don't know if you would like this book, Vince. <laughs> no, I mean, all kidding aside. Because, uh, you know, this isn't necessarily your type of thing. Well, graphically, it looks like it is. No, yes. I, no, I know. But, but subject matter-wise, it's... Yeah, maybe not so much. Yeah. But a good creative... Uh, individual doing something like this can lull you into that life e- even reluctantly mm-hmm. um, they could just weave their little their little tail and suck you in so maybe I just have to get it, take a look at it yeah and it's kind of neat too like the idea that people that become comic creators just as an outlet Th- this wasn't a guy like our friends like Scotty or, or Tom who who wanted to be comic book creators and and had the skill and wherewithal to do it, but that was their goal. This is a guy who is an artist by trade, professionally, and he had this life this life's journey with his wife and surfing and someone that he knew at No Brow said you should make a graphic novel about it. And he never thought about being a cartoonist before that. And it led to this, and now he's a, now he's a cartoonist and a one that's getting massive critical acclaim, and he is I think going to work on another graphic novel. But that's you know it's just totally organic. It wasn't some grand life plan like okay what what, what can I, what 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 can I do to become a, a comic book creator? He just became a comic book creator because that's the way life took him, and I think there's something neat about that. He was pushed by a wave. Boom! Look at you. See what I did? Woo. I'm paying attention. It's hot. It is hot. I I have something that was sent to me uh, uh, going back to the beginning of the episode by Mr. Christopher Hubble. And when I pulled it out of the package, I was like, oh, this looks cool. It uh, has a cover. uh, It's a pastiche on um, Silver Age Marvel, the aesthetic that Marvel championed in the the Marvel pop art productions they championed in the 60s. It's called Astonishing Tales of Mercury. There's even a, a Comics Code stamp of authority on the front of it. It's it's styled like a Marvel cover. And there's a, a giant multi-yard creature having a cocktail with a robot with a exposed brain and a cube for a head. There's a man down the lower part of the cover with his hand extended Kirby like, and there's a, uh, a cosmic looking cube in it. And I was like, Holy crap, this looks great. Let me see what this is. And I start, I page through the book and there's a page of sequentials. And then there's a list of, of food. And I'm like, Oh, that's weird. 
I'm thinking, how does this food relate to the story? I don't get it. And then there's another page, uh, completely unrelated to the first page of Sequentials, and then there's a cocktail list. And I'm like, holy shit, this is a menu. And it is, in fact, a menu from the Mercury Cocktail Bar in Omaha, Nebraska. They did their menu in the style of a comic book. And mm. there, and there's, like, the first um, page of Sequentials, uh, the art's all done by a man named Tim Mayer. The first page of Sequentials is, of course, done Marvel style. The, the, the giant entity is Slorgon, and he's a planet eater who has a herald. And the herald is a chromed-out version of Mercury, which is supposed to allude to the Silver Surfer. And it looks great. And then you have, I would say, um, maybe a DC type um, of the, the, the science fiction books at DC of the era. The woman is in love with the, the dude, the, the robot with the exposed brain. But then you get a little bit of maybe a, an Eisner pastiche and then a uh, House of Mystery slash Warren pastiche. And then there's a straight-up Robert Crumb uh, pastiche that is amazing. It's my favorite page in the thing. There's uh, a guy and a goose. And the guy's walking through the city, Robert Crumb style, with his feet exposed and, you know, the the big old honking cars of the period. And he's walking with the duck. And he's hungry and he's got a... Um, an egg underneath his hat and he picks up his hat and the egg hatches and the 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 hatchling has features from both the man and the goose and he said if i weren't so hungry i'd be proud and it just it keeps going from there but how awesome would it be to go into the mercury cocktail bar and to see the entire clientele paging through a friggin comic books that's genius i think that is so smart it the it's got heavy cardstock covers, so everybody who and there's like pseudo ads in the back for the Mercury Mercantile, and they sell you know Mercury Ale and the drinking buddy bird, the Mercury driven bird that keeps bobbing. In the inside back cover, there's a Chris Ware pastiche, shows the Mercury um, bar, and there's a character walking a dog wearing a superhero outfit, and it's very much like Chris Ware. So I think this is just great. It it totally out of the blue doesn't take a lot of, you know, time to read, but the concept is a super winner that you can have a bunch of dames and and dudes in a in a in a bar thumbing through comic books and you know, doing what we do week in and week out, but they want to they want to order something. I think it's great. So uh, that's very you, cool. Yeah, if you're ever in yeah. um Omaha, Nebraska, look up the Mercury Cocktail Bar. I guess it's one of the 10 best cocktail bars in the country, I guess. Maybe I'll go see 311 and then stop at that bar. <laughs> I'm with you on half of that. <laughs> <laughs> but I just wanted to, you know, tip of the hat to Christopher Hubble for making me aware of that thing cuz it's awesome. That but awesome. that wasn't really what I had for the second part. I have something else. Well, do tell. Now, Jason, you were saying about the book that just made for Taylor made for your DNA. Well, this one was. It's written by Mark Schultz and David Hine, and it's illustrated by Moritat. Color art by Gabriel Batista and Andrei Simonovich. 
The covers were by Ladrone and others. It's the Spirit, Volume 1. It's called Angel Smerti. Now, it's a weird name for a trade, but bear with me. Remember when DC did that first wave where they brought Doc Savage and the Spirit? Well, this is the Spirit ongoing that was started during that. And um, this trade collects the first seven issues of the Spirit. And there's two arcs. Uh, The Mark Schultz arc is, um, well, business as usual for Central City, the octopus. And the eight crime families have a chokehold on Central City. And they're parasites. They're draining the, the, the place dry. There's crime and there's drugs and protection payouts and poverty is rampant. Um, the mayor and most of the police are on the octopus's payroll. And Dolan doesn't have many friends uh, above or below, but there's one that he can always count on, and that's Denny Colt, a.k.a. the Spirit the man that came back. Uh, while most law enforcement are looking the other way, or they're taking that little envelope across the table, this is for you, right? The spirit does what he can do to uh, curtail the octopus and the eight crime family's activities, and it pisses the octopus off to no end. The octopus is, is well, we never actually get to see the octopus, unlike Frank's movie. We do. Um, huh? I said, yeah, in Frank's movie, we do. We do in Frank's movie, yeah. But in this, not so much. It, the octopus is something that if you see him, you go absolutely insane. It's Lovecraftian. Um, so the octopus's goons can't bring down the spirit. Um, so the octopus calls on a specialist and one angel smerti. And the, the spirit strong arms a goon, um, one of the octopus's goons, and he gets the deets. Uh, that the octopus hired this super high-profile European assassin, and um, he's gunning for you, and you better watch out because this this angel Smerti's a bad, bad dude. And so the spirit's expecting a mountain of a man, but he's shocked to learn that the assassin is a drop-dead gorgeous Russian bombshell. And she's got the skills to, to match her good looks, right? And she almost kills him. She almost kills the spirit. She, she, um, he's bloody and he's bleeding and broken. And he goes up to Ellen's apartment and he, he almost didn't make it. And in doing so, he leads Angel Smerti right to the doorstep of his lady love. Yeah. So that's, I mean, it's amazing. Uh, I, I would never have conceived Moritat as being someone that can, that would be able to continue on the, the proud uh, tradition of of Eisner's spirit, but man, is this art absolutely gorgeous! And you know, shame on me for thinking that because we've seen what Mortat can do, right? It's his his city is dirty and and dreary, and there's there's very little light in in Central City, but his spirit is a big mountain of a man, just amazing, amazing stuff. And um, throughout the whole thing. Uh, you get the Dolan's daughter Ellen and spirit relationship, you know, the, the attraction, the flirtation thing going on. And um, the spirit goes undercover in, in the first story. He's, he's this geriatric squatter called Geezer Colt. He's got the whole, he's, it's like his, Geezer Colt is the spirits matches Malone, right? Um, okay. the, the, there's a, a quartet of street urchins. Uh, Imani, 
and her centralettes. They're four African-American girls. And they they sing these little rhymes, right? And it's it's graphically illustrated, much like Eisner would do it. In the flowing type, and the um, it's it's very stylized type, and it's it's beautiful. But what they're singing are clues to the spirit, like they're posing as these. Well, they are. There's these kids, but they're the spirit's eyes and ears on the street. If something goes down, these kids hear it, and they bounce it back to the spirit in these these little rhymes that they're singing, and and so he acts he acts accordingly, right? Um, the second arc is called Frostbite. And it it kind of goes into this um, the arrival of a new drug on the streets of Central City. It's called Frost. Um, one of the octopus's dudes, his name's Carmine Cass. He he's he's the one who's responsible for spreading all this these drug this drug on the streets. But the drug proves to be lethal, and these these hipsters are having this little soiree. And this one girl snorts up a batch of this Frost, and she. She seizes up. She goes into, she she's near death, right? So the others are like, what do we do? So they take her body. They're really good friends. They take her body and they dump her in an alley. Now this is in the middle of winter. the 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 story's called Frostbite, but it takes place in the middle of winter. So this woman is out in this alley and she's exposed and she's suffering from the after effects of this drug. And the spirit stumbles upon her and he's trying to trying to you know stay with me, stay with me, and the woman dies. So it becomes intensely personal to the spirit, right? This story also introduces this version of the spirit's um, sidekick, Ebony. And uh, many people will probably be very happy to learn that gone are the exaggerated racial stereotypes of Eisner's male sidekick, uh, swapped out instead for that of a beautiful, young, smart, and very, very capable African-American woman with uh, tons of pepper up her arse. She's a firecracker. Mm. And um, uh, she's a lioness, really. And this ebony is, is I think, an ebony for uh, should the spirit stories continue into perpetuity, it would not be bad to have uh, this version of, of ebony along for the ride. I mean, we all say it, uh, we give Eisner a pass for ebony being a product of, of the times, but it's not the times anymore. So uh, this upgrade is very, very, very worthwhile. So I thought it was brilliant. Um, Moritat just stunned. He, we, whenever we go through the litany of dudes that are great with the female form, we never really mention Moritat. And it's, it's, um, it's sad because Ellen is, is gorgeous. Angel's amazingly beautiful. Um, uh, even Ebony is, is, she's young, so I don't want to, you know, get too far into it, <laughs> but, uh, no, she's, she's a looker too. I mean, Moritat has a way with the ladies too, and pretty much everything. The, uh, the architecture, this, the, the very, um, body of Central City is amazingly illustrated in this thing. I loved every page of this. And it's weird because, um, when you do a little bit of a Google search, I was looking for images for the, uh the uh, gallery for our 11 o'clock comics page. There's not a whole lot out there and, and my scanners busted. So I wasn't, and, and beside the fact I wasn't going to break the spine on this tray to, to scan <laughs> a few pages, but uh, the art's beautiful. If you see, I'm, I can almost guarantee that you will find these issues in the cheapy bin. So if you do find them, scoop them up. They are some of the best stuff I bet you'll read. It's just great. Um, I believe I, um, 
I sent a uh, lucky person the first wave miniseries. That was uh, Rags and Bear, right? Did Nazarello write that? Nazarello wrote it. Yeah. And uh, Rags Morales and Michael Bear, I believe, were the art team on it. Wow, you got rid of those? Yeah. What? Yeah, I read them. I mean, it's because it's it's one of those things where I wasn't about to reread it anytime soon. I, I had them since they came out. And um, they were fine. I just, I don't know. I, I enjoyed the um, the Batman spirit one shot that Cook did a lot more than the oh, first yeah. wave stuff. Yeah. I mean, I know it's night and day. You can't compare the two, but it's, I just, I don't, I, I dug first wave, but like I mean, you talking about it now is like what spawned at, out of that um, miniseries. I, I kind of forgot anything did come out of it yeah, well i think the spirit series lasted at least like 15 20 wow. issues yeah it lasted a while yep i know the one that i know the series that cook kicked off lasted for a little while after he left yeah. it yeah uh but fun fact vince i read that oh yeah did you like it mm. oh, spirit. For me. Yeah. i read it because of more that okay well i mean it wasn't it's i mean again i like my opinion of it shouldn't matter in the sense that I like, I don't love the source material. So sure. I don't know that this was going to be something I loved, but we were, we were, you know, we were fairly friendly with Mortat when that, when this book happened, because he had just, I just hung out with him all weekend at the Windy City, the con that Salon needs to put on. And, uh, he had just wrapped up. All-Star. Right. All-Star, All-Star Western. Didn't no, he? oh, it's way before that. No, this is before that. Oh, he had just okay. wrapped up uh, um, uh, Elephant Men, right? And it was big news that he got this because that as a rel- that that first wave was a that that got a lot of buzz. That was a one of those things that DC put a lot of marketing dollars behind. And it never it didn't end up taking off, but but at the time it was pretty hyped stuff. So it's pretty neat to see Moritat be a part of that. And uh, I, I'm a fan, I'm a big fan of his art. But, yeah, he's uh, yeah, incredible. So, Mm-hmm. Yeah. But uh, it is my lifeblood, and it did not do me wrong. I, I enjoyed it immensely. I'm surprised you didn't read off the stand. Like, I wonder how that happened. Um, I can I can guess that um, it was a product of um, knowing that the six issue series or whatever the first wave thing was would lead into a bunch of ongoings that probably mm-hmm. soured me. But right. I mean, it, it is uh, based on a pulp character. So sooner or later, I'm going to own sure. it and read it. So, you know, mm-hmm. and, and now for far less than I would have if I bought every issue off the stand, because like I said, these are in all, all the cheapy bins. Mm-hmm. Yep. And they're amazing. Seek them out. What else nice. do we have? I want to hear about more comics. Jumping back to Marvel, did you guys read History of the Marvel Universe number one? I have it, but I haven't read it. I, I started, I, I flipped through the first few pages. Um, I am so glad it's not a Marvel saga redo. Um, no, I, was, I, I think I was a little surprised that it was, um, that who was telling the story. And then... Um, something else called to me. So it just, 
it is something I want to read. I, I started it with the intention to to read it. It's not like I started it, got soured on it, and, and said, yeah, that, that, that was a nice attempt. But no, it, if I want to know more about it. I have to say, and this is I know this is part of your process, but it always did. It seems like alien to me, the idea of start you do this all the time starting a single issue comic and then being drawn to something else like i don't like i, know, I just don't I know. like if i'm starting a single issue comic i'm finishing it and then moving on to something else but uh unless the, well, the single issue you, is very very bad then no don't. that's different he just said oh, right, that's that's, happened, yeah, right 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 yeah um well this is written by mark wade and art by javier rodriguez uh who i am a big fan of his work um and it's one of those projects where when it was announced and then now that I've read the first issue, I am incredibly grateful that it exists for the life of me. I don't know why it exists in, in the sense that I, I don't know if because Mark is such a, a continuity nerd that he pitched this and they said, Oh cool, let's do that. Or, if there's some reason because it's it's been a minute since they had anything like Ohatmu and I guess they maybe wanted to memorialize the the history of Marvel in its current form, like trying to pierce through all of the different quasi reboot stuff that happened. I'm not sure what prompted it, but ultimately that doesn't matter. It's the execution. And it was pretty freaking nifty. I mean, it's it's exactly what it's titled. It is. Um, the story opens at the end of our universe uh, and Franklin Richards and Galactus are chilling in nothingness. There are two specks of life left in the universe before it ends and they're fighting the good fight. And Franklin basically says, well, we have some time. Uh, and, Galactus says, well, yeah, I mean, this is going to be like when I was the... Remember, Galactus's backstory is that he was the last living being of his universe. And as it ended, he got carried through to the new universe, our universe, and became Galactus eventually. Well, now we're back at that point again where our universe is ending. And Franklin is going to be that person he is going to be the only the only survive, living carryover from our universe into the new one. And Franklin is saying to Galactus, I mean, that's all good, but I don't want to forget what happened. Like, am I going to remember? And uh, and he said, I just I want to I want to remember. So run me through everything. You, know, you were here since the beginning. So run me through it. And Galactus, rather than say like the watchers or something, says, all right. Yeah, cool. And he just starts telling him like a bedtime story. He starts telling him from the from the jump how it happened and um and and it just goes very systematically through the creation of the marvel universe and the first planets and the first life forms and the the gods evolving and 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 different species evolving and and the the celestials and the elders of the universe and the eternals and um it just chronicles it up to to a certain point and then ends the issue and for the next issue it's a limited series um it's beautiful rodriguez does an amazing job of packing literally hundreds of different pieces of marvel history together into one tapestry in an issue um and the solicit i went back and read it to try and get a clue and 
They're calling it the ultimate reference book for Marvel fans. So, I, again, I, I guess they envision this as just being one of those evergreens that once it's done, it'll be a big oversized hardcover and it'll yep. be available everywhere, which is cool. I, I, I don't know. I, I'm not sure how much of a market there is for that, but I, it's certainly something I, I find value in. And um, It was nifty, man. It's 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 nifty. It's it's it is right in the sweet spot of of being the Ohatmu mark that I am. I mean, this is no hot move, but it is what it is. And then the cool thing is, after you, as he goes through this whole chunk of the history, uh, in the in the final pages, you get a actual bibliogra- bibliography of all of those things and where you can read about them throughout Marvel's history. Yep. Um, so it's it's I don't know. Thought it was I loved it. I I loved it, and I I, I see it as something very nichey, but I'm I'm squarely in that. That that group of that 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 is part of that niche. So yeah, nice. If you talk about original art, can you imagine what these pages are selling for? Well, I'd like to know. Uh, each a, one I'm is a, better than the next. Yeah, I'm a big Javier Rodriguez fan, so I I'd like to hopefully figure that out. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know. No, I think this is very much necessary at this point because um, if you the Ohatmus are great, but they're very time consuming. And right. contemporary readers are not going to pour through an Ohatmu the way we did. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. the fact that it's words and pictures now that you can see what's unfolding um, with these many, many beautiful drawings. And, the, you know, there's a lot of text in this, but it's it's not Ohatmu level text. You know, there's right. so it, it's, a, it's a, a much faster read. I think this is a great modern way of doing what they did for the Ohatmu. Um I don't really think people care about power levels anymore. Right. You know, and and rankings and stuff. It's fun, but whatever, just because it says it in a book, I don't think there you know, a writer's going to come down the the pipe and say, "Well, sure, Man-Thing can beat Thor." But but wait a minute. It says in the Ohatmu that Man-Thing's power level is this and Thor's is this, so how could he possibly beat him? Like that that puts shackles on creativity. I mean, yes, mm-hmm. you, you need it, and it's nice to have it, but I don't think it should be set in stone, whereas this, it just goes, it's it's like storybook time. Like you said, it's just two characters reliving the Marvel Big Bang and everything that came out of it. Yeah, and it's six issues, I should mention. Uh, the first four have been solicited, um, but there's not a lot of detail. Uh, the, the, the second issue the cover is lots of the wartime characters you've got human torch could be toro i'm not sure uh bucky cap namora red skull but then you've got iron fist and dr strange and you've got mystique and gene um then the third issue you've got the ff doom namor Professor X, Loki, Vision, Scarlet Witch, uh, Annihilus, and the Hulk. And then the fourth issue, you've got Spider-Woman, Captain Marvel, Spidey, Carnage, Venom, Deadpool, Nova, uh, like Michelini-era Iron Man, and She-Hulk, Burn-era sensational She-Hulk. Um, so, yeah, it's it's... I mean, there's, they're going through it pretty quickly because that's 
getting to pretty pretty modern times once you start talking about those characters. And then there's two issues after that. Um, and it very much does try and capture all the things up to current. Like, for example, in the first issue, as one of the original displays of power, they reference the OG Avengers that Jason Aaron's been messing with, the 1 million BC Avengers. I did see that in the book, yeah. Yeah. Um, and I could take or leave that concept, but I like that they're, I guess, putting it in this makes it canon, right? Like yeah. That's the idea, establishing what is canon and what is not. So, um, Now, I, that being said, I'm buying the issues, but I, I, it's probably prudent for those of you that are uh, against philosophically or budgetarily double-dipping. I just wait because this is pretty much made to be a coffee table book. So might just want to wait for it yeah in that form agreed i will own it gots to have this oh gots to it's so yeah. beautiful did you see did you see that there's a no hot new omnibus coming out i did yep oh my god i'm so excited we'll never see you <laughs> you'll you'll, you'll well, sequester yourself in the spend, bunker yeah the time i was going to spend reading wildcats uh i'm just going to divert divert to that yeah you know what i'm not even interested anymore they they in lost. Wildcats? Yeah, they lost me. Well, they canceled it. I know, but yeah. I mean, it, it, there was a, a caveat saying that it could be or would be solicited at a later later date. Right. I right. don't even care. Whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we've been burned too many times with that that superhero team, and I'm just nah, I don't care. Yeah. Yep. That's the truth, Ruth. Yeah. Oh, uh, speaking of um, the history and and moving forward into the future, I did. I did decide to read if yeah um Marvel's epilogue and which is basically I guess um a little bit of a cap on Kurt Busiek's and uh, Alex Ross's Marvel's did Busiek write it? Busiek did write it. Okay. And um it it is it is definitely a um an end piece, but it's the story itself, two, three, four, five, six, it's, it's maybe 12 or 16 pages of, of actual comic book content. Um, and it, it takes place at the, um, the issue of, um, um, I forget what number it was of Uncanny X Men, but it's it's the issue where they're all at uh, Rockefeller Center for Christmas. At that, at, at, it's a issue drawn Nin- by Cockrum. Ninety eight. Um, possibly, I know that they, they, there's an interview in this where ninety eight. You're right. Yep. Um, and uh, with that splash page with the X Men uh, at Nick Fury and and Valeria walking by and. Uh, so Ross got to paint all of that, but it's, it's, it's Phil, um, and, uh, his two daughters. And, um, so he, he's being inserted in, into, um, an existing Marvel story. And, and there's a, the Sentinel attack upon the, um, upon the roof and the X-Men spring into action and then Nova shows up. He even says he's new. And, and if there's anything he can do to help, um, but it's a very, very short story. And, and then you have the, um, when Phil's daughters ask him, this is what it's always like, you know, seeing the Marvels in action and, and, and you're in it, uh, while, while they're doing their thing. And then there's a nice double page spread of, um, of Phil's 
life with the introduction of um of the human torch when when horton reveals the character the the android and um namor threatening the planet and in the fight with the hulk and thing and uh cap introducing the new avengers with quicksilver and scarlet witch and hawkeye and then galactus appearing and spider-man and uh giant man and then um and he says, you know, yeah, that's it, it, it's a lot like this. Uh, a lot of the time, at least, it, it's news, it's things people need to know, it's dangerous things, it's new things, it's cool things, and they kind of just um, walk off into the uh, snowy moonlight. And then there's a, a mad-ish parody uh, for two pages, and then there's a, a nice long interview with um, with Kurt, and Alex, um, the, the interview actually may be longer than the actual comic book story. And then a couple of pages, sketch pages of, um, of Ross drawing out the, the book, the story, but it, um, it's weird. I mean, I, I, I read the issues when they were coming out. I have the, the 10 year, uh, the 10th anniversary edition. And, and it is one of my favorite stories. It's not something I revisit often. It's just nice to have, um, much like the history of the Marvel Universe will be when that comes out in a nice hardcover. But yeah, it's weird. I just I was hoping I was hoping for something a little more meaty, and and this wasn't it. it it's still beautiful. It's still you know Alex Ross doing these stories from from the sixties and seventies fashion and um, sprucing it up a little bit with the, with his painting. But it's um. It wasn't really what uh, kind of what I wanted, and I don't. Um, um, I'm I'm fine with because at first I read it when I I saw it on the stands. I was like, oh, you know, that's is that something that's going to bum me out? That this is a story that's not going to be in the collection I have. You know, is this is this a story that I want to read that that I wish would be included so that if I ever do decide to revisit it, I can read this at the end of it and be all happy. Um, and, and I'm okay with my edition on the shelf and, and that this story isn't really part of it. It's fine. It, it's, it's a neat little story. You may not get it if you didn't read the original Marvels. Um, but I guess because they just got done doing the, annotated version of the book recently that uh, just kind of makes maybe that this epilogue will be included in, in that collection when that comes out. But yeah, it wasn't, um, I kind of wanted it to be more of, of the same and, and it was only kind of less than half that really, but it was still a neat little story, but it just, I, I selfish. I, I wanted more out of it. What's the name of this thing? Marvel's epilogue. When did this come out? Last week or two weeks ago. Oh, okay. Neat. I didn't even. I didn't even see it. I'll keep an eye out for it. It's almost like it could have been a freebie. That it would have been a neat free comic state thing. It just it. It's, so it sounds like it almost. Sounds yeah. Like it, almost. And I think it was still. It, it was still like uh, four ninety nine, five ninety nine, or whatever. But yeah. Hmm. Blind spot. Completely did not yeah. know it existed. Same as huh. Neat. All right, what else do we have? Come on. Uh, Nothing, Jason? 
I mean, um, yeah, I'm going to have lots. I'm just trying to think um, what's worthy of, of our listeners' time. Um, well, did you guys, when I wasn't on and you had Crucion, did, did you did you talk about uh, Invisible Woman number one? Or? No, I don't talk about books I don't like. Yeah, we, oh, well, actually, we do actually plenty of times. I think Vince touched on it when uh, when we had Tom on, just just for a quick second. Oh, he did. No, I think we weren't recording yet. I asked him if he read it. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. You enjoyed it? I did. Yeah, you said the art. When the hell did she get a mole? She said what? When the hell did she get a mole? Maybe that was her. her no, incognito. no, it wasn't. It wasn't when she's in the full blue outfit and I was Only like, this you would let the mole bother you. Yeah, I because it's like this is what this artist wants to put his stamp on on Sue. It's like, yeah, I mean, that's why his Sue, his Sue has a mole. Oh, Jesus, <laughs> I didn't. I didn't care for it. I'm, I'm, I'm misogynist. You didn't like Lois Lane. You didn't like this. Who did Lois Lane? Oh, Vince. Yeah. Don't be pointing fingers at me. You know, I got no love for the X Men '98. I pulled that out of my ass, and you guys like you did. Do you realize? I, I mean, I've read that issue countless times. Mike, mm-hmm. I still have it. My the cover's all bent and shit. It's it's just it's well loved. That's one of my favorite issues from back then. Mm-hmm. And when did I ever blurt out an X Men issue number? Right, Jesus, no love at all. Oh, you got all that was love. impressive. I'll give you it's, that. Yeah, you know, you know what else was impressive? I had storms in it too. So there you go. I finally found my copy of this this book. It was sent to me by a man I love almost more than any other. Um, I, he is my favorite illustrator. I say it all the time, and Jack that Fair. and that that uh, no, and that title still stands. I finally found my copy of Matthew Allison's Sweet Sepulcher Number Two. I'm out. Time out. Time out. Yes, I will absolutely concur that you are a huge Matthew Allison fan. Yep. But under no circumstances will I accept without debate the statement you just made that he is – that you say it all the time that he's your favorite illustrator. Yes. I've, I, how many times did Matthew Allison get my 11 o'clock Oscar? He's, like he, never? Like go back and look. <laughs> I have a list. <laughs> I know. This is, <laughs> that that like, Excel spreadsheet is going to be edited no August 11th. I'm, sure I'm pretty sure he has never won the 11 o'clock Oscar. I think you're nuts. I've said it. I mean, like I thought you were about to see Gary Panther or like or like Josh Bayer. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Josh Bayer. No wait. Josh, Josh Bayer is my favorite man that makes comics. There's two different things. <laughs> Matthew Allison is an impeccable illustrator. No, Absolutely. No doubt. No, I'm doubt. Not, and I'm not doubting that you believe that, but you took it to he. You not only said he was your favorite, but you <laughs> say said it like is, say it all the time, and you do not say that all the time. Every time <laughs> I talk about his books, I do. Go back and listen. Okay, listeners, do us a favor. Yes, come on to come on to the 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 socials and let us know if you recall Vince proclaiming Matt to be his all time favorite illustrator. How about this? You will give me a hundred dollars for every instance that I've said that. <laughs> I'm not doing that. No, it's a bet. Oh, you four three It's a damn bet because I need a new guitar, and you're going to okay, pay for on. it. Wait, hold on. Here we go. I got it. Okay. Favorite writer artist. 
I'm going to go through all the categories that you might have said. Just do a, a find, Matthew Allison. Favorite writer-artist. Vince's choices have been Eric Larson, Brian Chippendale, uh, Ichiro Oda, uh, Michael DeForge, Josh Bear, Josh Bear, Josh Bear, Scotty Young, Eric Larson, Josh Bear. Okay, so just checking. Uh, let's see. Favorite penciler artist. Okay. Favorite penciler artist. Mark Buckingham. Mark Buckingham. Greg Capullo. Chris Burnham. John Romita Jr. Paolo Rivera. Paolo Rivera. Chris Pacello. Chris Pacello. I don't have who you picked this year, but it wasn't Matthew Allison. Keep going. Um, creator of the year. Paul Pope. Eric Larson. Jaime Hernandez. Brandon Graham. Tom Scholey. Jonathan Hickman. Paolo Rivera. Tom King. Tom King. You can't those just all, do a control F all, to find Allison. Yes, like, those are all the categories that would be artist related. Well, I've said it. I know I've said it a million okay, times. I'm just saying you've never given middle other class. Well, whatever That's the case, I I expect a nice fat check after the the peeps listen to the episodes because I have said it far more than once. <laughs> okay, but anyway, he is a fantastic illustrator, though. Absolutely, you just got caught up by taking it to the. <laughs> Number one, and it's and as if I'm on record, set in stone. Of course, it is. But I am on record as saying it because I have said oh. it. Are you just all right. Let's dispense with that that kind of nuttiness. <laughs> Dap, do you remember this? You read it, right? Yeah. He does uh, a couple of short stories, which are typical Matt Allison, which means they're awesome. A uh, mummy snorts uh, model glue. And he's tripping balls and gets in the way of a of a karate. It, there's a guy walking down the street with a coffee in his complete um, karate outfit with a black belt, and it just leads to the the mummy being the next fashion statement. And then there's a setup, uh, cream no sugar, that has yet to pan out. In later, it's continued anyway. But the thing I wanted to stress: Matthew goes into a prose review of uh, Massey Kramer's Demon Hunter. And not only does he give us two pages of uh, great uh, film commentary, but he also gives us a recipe for Pecan Sandies, which he believes one of the characters in uh, Demon Hunter eats in an extended sequence. Uh, almost five minutes in the original, and the film was later picked up and renamed um, Blood Beast of Monster Mountain, and that scene was truncated to, like, only one cookie. And he goes into this whole thing. I think think Matthew, and I'm, I'm not sure, but there is a page that Matthew reproduces in the back for um, the toy. Do you remember Hugo, Man of a Thousand Faces? It was a bald-headed... Um, puppet torso, right? That you could put various different various facial features on the the like mustache or glasses or a little wig or you know nasty teeth. Do you know who was the man behind Hugo Man of a Thousand Faces? Yeah, I, I don't. Feel like ex- I should know that. I don't expect you guys to know, but Alan Ormsby. The man behind Children Shouldn't Play with Dead Things with Bob Clark. Okay. Mm-hmm. And Alan is also an illustrator. So I'm mm-hmm. wondering if Alan Ormsby illustrated this page, Hugo, A Man of a Thousand Faces at the Monster Rally. Because 
Alan Ormsby at one time put out uh, through Scholastic. Remember when you were in class and you got the Scholastic Book of the Month thing and you'd all fill out the books you want and you handed it back to your teacher and you got them like you don't remember that? That was like a huge deal when I was in school. Whenever you got the Scholastic order form, everybody poured through it and, you know, oh, I want this, I want this, I want that. And mom would say, okay, you get to pick one and, you you know, whatever. But there was a book released through Scholastic that um, was all about makeup appliances and the monsters and stuff. And Alan was behind that too. So I'm wondering if he illustrated the cover of this. I can ask him because I'm a Facebook friend of his. But anyway, and then uh, in the back you get the uh, a reproduction of the Shriek Monster Magazine logo along with some of the uh, Top Stone masks. And this is uh, one of the reasons why I love Matthew Allison because whenever I could, I talk to him, it's like talking to a brother because we all we both love the same crappy ass movies, and he rambles on at length about one of just one of those in this little zine that he's created with awesome comics, crappy horror movies, and other bric-a-brac, and it's only three bucks. Yeah. I I I I don't know how I feel about his love of Kiss. But <laughs> I, I grew up and I loved them up until I was about, you know, 22. And then I realized Gene was an asshole. And I love everything up until 1980. But everything after, I'm not, I'm not all that crazy about. But Matthew still loves them. So. I played the shit out of Fraley's Comet. Oh, word? Yeah. That, that cassette in, in the Civic playing... All the time, especially when I was on the Brother Parkway, because that's that's where um, there's a line in one of his songs where he's driving the wrong way down, and it was on the River Parkway. But yeah, Ace was my favorite. I should have knew something was up when they released the solo albums, mm-hmm. and Jeans was the fucking worst out of the four. <laughs> like Hilarious. I, I, I was like, you know, because you know, we each had our favorite member of Kiss. My yeah. friend Joe loved Ace. My other friend Joe loved Paul. I loved um, Gene and my friend John, who was the odd man out. He was the Peter Chris fan. And and I was like swinging a big dick. Yeah, and we get them albums tomorrow. Gene's going to put everybody to shame. And we played them. Like we had a, this little, we all got together and we, we all, because we all got the album of our favorite Kiss member. And we played it. And when Gene was on, I wanted to fucking crawl in a hole. I was like, it starts out good with Radioactive, but then it just goes right down the shitter. And even mm. Peter's, which does not sound anything like Kiss, is better than Gene's solo album. Sorry, we went off on a tangent. But anyway, it's a good tangent. Hit up Matthew Allison on uh, on the Twitters. It's uh, Loaf Dish, isn't it? His thing. Yeah, um, but just just do a, a search for him on Twitter and on Facebook and shit. Um, and it's CankorComic.com. C A N K O R Comic.com. Matthew's like the best. He really is. And he's a good man, despite his love of Kiss. <laughs> yep. So, okay, um, we're going to just uh, put this puppy to rest? I hate to I, I don't know why I said that, because that's very grim and very, very dark. Right? <laughs> I, I don't know why. <laughs> you want to kill this dog? Let's go kill it. Down. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, how about we uh, we bid adieu to our wonderful listeners? And remember, if you would like to save money on comics, and who doesn't, 
head on over to dcbservice.com. dcbservice.com will get you the books you want at the price you want to pay and deliver them right to your house. Ordering a pizza is harder, right? I think so. Plus, this won't add inches to your waist like a pizza will. dcbservice.com. In your travels, now it's time for the absolute best thing I read all week. Without question. Nothing even compared to this. This was even better than Powers of Ten. Mm-hmm. Now, you can look at my freaking 11 O'Clockers list because I know for a fact <laughs> that I gave this book best fantasy series last year. Do it. Pop that list up. Go ahead. Written by Simon Spurrier, illustrated by Matthias Bergara. It's published by Boom, and it's called Coda Volume 2. Collects issues 5 to 8 of the 12-issue series. Did you find it? Because it's there. Because I voted for Coda last year. I know it. I know it for a fact. Because this <laughs> this is... You got, me, you got me gun-shy now about what I'm talking about. <laughs> the... Uh, this picks up where Volume 1 left off, of course. Uh, Mr. Hum, the ex-minstrel, uh, beheads the uh, the elf and carries around his head <laughs> in... What? <laughs> you're right, you're wrong. Oh, did I have a tie? No. Your favorite sci-fi book last year was Dead, Dead, Demons, DDDD, Destruction. Right. What about the fantasy? Um... Sci-fi and fantasy are the same category, so... Oh, okay. But no. the code is in there. Code is in there as your favorite adventure book. All right. Okay. I knew I voted it for something. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, in in trying to uh, make his uh, deal with the Mercone, he needed a huge amount of acker. So, what he does is he cuts the head off this imprisoned elf. And now, he carries the head around in his false leg and talks to the head, much like um norgal does in uh headlopper norgal and agatha the blue witch mr hum and um the elf head they they have conversations and more often than not the the elf uh tells him things he doesn't want to hear the elf is the common sense the rational and uh hum is just uh, he he's i've i've jury's still out on whether this is a good guy um of course Serka, his wife is an Urkin, and she—it's an she's an orc. Um, she's prone to violent outbursts and rage, and and um, it's her life's mission to kill this pilot. Um, there's a, a city, a roaming city called Thundervale, that's pulled by a giant, Gog the Giant, and the giant needs Acker, and so Thundervale has all of these. Um, agents that go out and scour the land and they steal or kill for or just take uh all these magical items and they're put into this um well to feed the giant right so hum and his wife they they use a glamour and they get into the city because serka desperately wants to kill the pilot of uh thundervale it's her life's mission to kill this 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 pilot and the story proceeds from there. Uh, it's it's just gorgeous. It's one of the best illustrated books these eyes have ever seen. I think Bergara is a monster. It's it's unlike 
anything. It's so beautifully designed and illustrated, and it's colorful and brutal, and the, the, the design of these characters is just impeccable. Uh, I don't want to get too far into it, because I think David was reading Coda at one time, weren't you? Yeah, it's something I need to go back to, but yeah. Right. There's a battle at the crepuscular tower of Marazin. Uh, they have to fight this vampire lord because he has a uh, a mace that's incredibly powerful, and they want it to power the giant, and it's just awesome. But it's it it ends on a very downbeat note because there's four issues after this. There's three volumes to the series. Ends on an extremely downbeat note, but not before Bergara just wows you with his ability. Just page after page of this otherworldly thing that I can't comment on because David hasn't read it yet, but it's just outstanding. So if you're if you're in the mood for fantasy, looking for a you know, to to sate that fantasy uh thirst, you should read Coda because as far as I'm concerned, there's very little fantasy books that can match this. From Boom. Boom. Uh, in your travels, I am um, working on catching up on a few things, and um, one of those few things is Miles Morales' Spider-Man, written by Saladin Ahmed, art by uh, Javier Garon and uh, David Curiel on colors, and it is it is a lot of fun. Fourth issue is probably. Um, my favorite, the first three issues dealt with um, Miles um, A, trying to score points with his maybe girlfriend and um, because her nephew was um, was kidnapped um, and or missing um, and Captain America was involved and Rhino was involved and it was, it was a neat little three issue story um Introducing this new character called the Snatcher, who looks like one of Zartan's dreadnoks, and and he's just um, he has the ability to um, basically hypnotize people and and uh, turn something on in kids that that I guess unlocks any latent powers they may have. But with adults, it um, it kind of just makes them go blank and uh but you know miles saves the day it's a neat little story the fourth issue uh is is basically miles's day off where he and um his buddy judge are going to skip play hooky and um with miles's um girlfriend they're going to go to the brooklyn museum because there's a bunch of uh there's a rap and hip-hop exhibit um so he uh is a problem getting to the museum and and spider-man has to kind of save the day so just like in that peter parker fashion miles has to kind of dip out and uh do what he can to um make sure everybody's safe and sound uh then they get to the museum and they're checking out the exhibit and the frost pharaoh shows up who's this skinny white blonde kid who is just dressing up as king tut and uh he's pretty much dealt with pretty quickly and then um and there's an awesome little double page spread of um 
of the three of them trying to get back to Brooklyn Visions, while the vice principal, who is convinced that Miles is up to no good and is a bad apple and is is skipping school and and is lying about being sick, even though Ganky's sick, um, so he's like he's he's trying to he's he's the Mister Weatherby of the issue and and he's just trying to catch him doing no good and uh, as the kids are trying to get back to school the vice principal Dutcher and the principal are on their way back from a board of ed meeting and um, it's a funky little uh, Ferris Bueller kind of thing and, and with the whole family circus dotted lines as, as each one is trying to and and the way uh, Garon draws the miniature versions of um, of the the kids getting back to school it, it's a real cool page um but it was it was it was a that was probably just it was it was just a really neat story Garon's art is fantastic I, I i love the way he draws even when even when miles isn't dressed up as spider-man i just i love the faces he gives all the characters um there's there's actual um you actually feel concerned about the characters on the page and, and it's uh, it's whether they are high school students or an adult like the Rhino or even Captain America uh, or teachers, everybody, you know, there's, there's no, it all just works. I'm, I'm really, really happy um, with the art. And uh, yeah, I just, I, and, and this is an instance where the covers kind of let you down because, because the covers are nowhere near, as um as exciting uh or look as good the, the covers are by marco defonso and they're not as um they're just not as neat as as the interior um and i they almost look like you know marvel adventure style covers did you notice the thing on the shelf on the cover of number four with the uh herbie. the herbie yeah yep yeah. Um put a coffee cup in them. <laughs> but it's it's you know, it it's like I said that that was that was my favorite issue. Um there have uh there been seven so far, so I am in the process of of catching up. I have uh I have the last couple to read. But yeah, I'm um I if it, if this was the only I mean yeah, I've, I've talked about Superior Spider Man as well, but if this was the only Spidey book I I could be reading. Um I wouldn't be mad about it. There you go. Uh, in your travels, before you read something, watch something, which is The Boys on yes, indeed. Amazon uh, Prime Video. So good. Yeah, I... Um, Did you finish it? No, I'm... Okay. Uh, episode six. Oh, all right. Okay. Yeah. Um, but I like it so far. It, it is very different from the comic. Um I loved the first episode. I thought they were losing me with the second and third, and then they rounded back into form. Um, I will say, I, I, it is nowhere near as purient as the book. I mean, the, the book is almost childish in its purience, right? It's very over the top, um, very graphic. Uh, but for a TV show, it's, this is a very graphic TV show. It's it's not if the comic is a nine out of ten in extreme, uh, this is like a seven, 
But again, most TV shows are like a three. So, I, so um, it's one of those things where you either have to embrace how it's different and treat it as its own thing, or it's or it's not going to be for you. Um, but I but I like it. I, I think the main the main characters are really well cast. Um, so that's a, a big plus. Uh, I think Elizabeth Shue is uh, is great in the role as the, as the head of Vought. Um, I think, um, we have the, the, I don't know offhand, I don't know the actor's name, the, the, the lead who plays Wee Huey is fantastic. Um, oh, Jay Quaid. Oh, is that like Randy He's Quaid's the, kid? Meg, Meg Ryan and Randy and, and Randy. Oh, uh, that is Quaid's kid. Yeah. Oh, yeah, Randy's his uncle. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Um, the, the, Guy who plays the Homelander, Anthony Starr, was the uh, was um, uh, um, the star of Banshee, which I loved. I love that show a ton. So he's great as Homelander, yeah, he's great as Homelander. So yeah, so it's a lot of fun. I mean, I I think it's it's well cast. I I'm, I hope it's going to get more seasons because there's a lot a lot more story to tell. I mean, yeah. a lot more story to tell. Especially um, when, oh, <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but no, it definitely was a lot of fun. Uh, and then in your travels, I come to to mildly criticize, but over, but 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 largely praise this book, which is, um, uh, I don't back Kickstarter stuff as much as I used to, but this one was too good to pass up. Um, and that is Ballpoint Beauties by Frank Cho from Flesk Publications. Um, Frank. I think anybody that knows Frank's work knows that he loves the female form. But what you might not have known is that for about 20 years, just for his own pleasure, he has drawn um, beautiful women using a ballpoint pen, just a standard Vic ballpoint pen. And somehow or another, uh, they came up with the idea of turning that into a coffee table book. So it was kickstarted successfully and massively. And I get to give them credit. It was Funded and completed and delivered on pretty much on time on schedule, and I got the book before it was for before the people that were in previews did, and that's all I ask. Um, it's a beautiful book. Flesk does a really nice job with these art books. Uh, I think the the one I bought more the the last one I bought from him was an Art Adams book about two two and a half three years ago, um, and uh, it's gorgeous. I said I was going to ding it a little bit, and that's the only criticism I have of it is. Um, most of the book is set up like a process book. So he shows you essentially four stages of each drawing. And the problem I have is that as a process book goes, and now I'm not an artist, but were I an artist, this is a pretty wonky process book because it's the same four, it's the same four process steps for each drawing. And his step, his, the, the verbiage that he uses to describe what he's doing is identical in every one. So it just gets incredibly repetitive. It's like, for example, step one, pencil the female figure. After penciling the figure, I lightly erase the pencil lines, leaving a faint outline of the figure. This is where you really need to nail down the anatomy. Step two, ink the faint outline with a ballpoint pen. Remember, don't go too dark outlining the figure. Okay, so that's that's one drawing in the beginning. So I'm just going to flip randomly to, uh, to about 40 pages further. Step one, pencil the reclining female figure. After penciling the figure, I lightly erase the pencil lines, leaving a faint outline of the figure. Like, step two, once I, now there's dinosaurs in this one. Once I nail down drawing the dinosaurs, I start inking them in red ink to give it a nice contrast between the female figure and the dinosaurs. Um, 
cross-hatch the entire figure repeatedly, graying the overall figure and establishing a firm shadow. Go 20 more pages ahead. Uh, cross-hatch the entire figure repeatedly, graying the overall figure and establishing a firm shadow and light areas of the anatomy. So it's like, it's the same steps every single time. So it, it's very silly to have those written down on every drawing. It makes, it just makes no sense. But where he, where he saves himself is that about two thirds of the way through the book, he starts putting in parentheses, his inner thoughts about how ridiculous it is. It keeps repeating himself. So I appreciate that. He realized that at some point and started making fun of himself. And he's just like, wow, nobody's like at one point he's like, wow, nobody's reading this at this point. Or he's like, he's like, you know, and he's like, he's like, this is really like a broken record, aren't I? But, um, but putting the, 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 this idea of it being a book on how to away, this is ultimately a book full of hundreds of pages of beautiful Frank Cho women, naked women. Let's be honest. I mean, they're naked. Um, and it is insane to me that he does this with a ballpoint pen. Like, like it's, it's ridiculous. Um, and he gives an interview in the back, a rather lengthy in- interview. Um, talking about making you sick. He's totally self-taught. Like he just drew for fun. He actually has a nursing degree from the university of Maryland. Um, and just taught himself how to draw, which is ridiculous. Um, and then even with these, he just uses a regular ballpoint pen and he just wipes off the pen on a side piece of paper every few strokes to make sure that the, the little ink blob doesn't form. And, uh, but, but it is a gorgeous book. I mean, listen, Frank knows how to draw women. Um, in fact, it's, he's so obsessed with drawing naked women that like, you got to wonder about like, it's like his wife, right? Like she does totally cool with it. Like, I mean, I don't know. Like he seems more than a little bit obsessed, but, uh, but his obsession is our game because wow, is this a freaking gorgeous book? It, it is. And I, when, um, my wife isn't really keen on Kickstarter. Um, right, right, right. So when, but she is a massive Frank Cho fan. Mm-hmm. And when, uh, so when it was, when the campaign started, I sent her the link. I'm like, this isn't like the fucker with the cooler. We're going to get this. Don't worry <laughs> about it. Um, and, uh, and it, 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 it took some, selling and and you know we went for it so um as soon as it arrived i handed it to her she unwraps it and and she's flipping through it and it starts off great and and then we're halfway through it and like her face changes a little bit and then get towards the end and she's like oh here's a guy oh oh he's he's covered okay yeah that's cool and i'm like and i'm thinking to myself I'm like well it's a frank cho book so i knew what we and were it's getting. called ballpoint beans. And right, so I'm like, I knew, and she's just like, "Well, this is this is just so." I there are other ways guys can rub one out, right? I'm like, I'm just like, <laughs> I'm like, this is just. So she says, "So, so it's a hardcover book of porn." That's cool. I was like, "Well, so I just I can't really, I got no leg to stand on there." But I'm like, it's it is an absolute gorgeous book. It's a great presentation. Um, it's uh yeah no i'm 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 definitely happy i i backed it i i definitely get where she's coming from um but it's it's one of those things it, it's not exactly um a buyer beware situation one of us knew what we were getting uh so yeah but it's it's um you tell you her know, she'd be tripping uh, well yeah yeah i'm going to have to but she um you know she knows she knows what he does so um it is what it is, and and we have it now, and and I'm I'm gonna 
have it on my shelf and look at it from time to time. But no, it is it's it's a solid package. I'm I'm really happy with it. And like you said, you know, we we got I saw it solicited and I was like, huh, okay, no, that I mean it's it's like we I, I could have expected that, but we um we did get it before uh before those ordering it and previews were getting it, so I am mad at that. Nice. Viv, I know you want this book. No. What? No. Wait, what? No, I, I, I enjoy Frank's work, but I, I don't need an entire book of it on my shelf. Wow. Uh, the, the man can draw. I just don't need, I, I don't want it or need it. That's fascinating to me. Yeah. Why does that surprise you? Because you're a fan of mm-hmm. beautiful nude women. Yes, yeah, <laughs> I, I am. But um, I think Frank's too much of a realist to, for me. I mean, he, mm. he he draws wonderfully, but uh, and and I I do appreciate it when he does the cover on something I buy. Uh-huh. It's great, but I, I I I wouldn't buy an entire book of his stuff. Mm. Haters gotta hate. That's exactly right. Yep. <laughs> ay, ay, ay. Hey, everybody. Thank you for being here with us one more time around. Come back next time. We don't know when it'll be, but it'll be soon. And um, in, in the meantime, we're on the Facebook. We're on the Twitter, Instagram, on the Reddit. We're everywhere. And most, well, not most importantly, but we're also on the Patreon. Patreon.com forward slash 11 o'clock comics. And check that out. Do Brother David a solid and say good night. Hater. <laughs> ridiculous. David. Night. Saw Peter on one. Hater. Oh boy. David. Yay. Thank you, people. We're out of here. The, t- the two other, the two brothers are going to say goodbye. Bye. Latest.